Tuesday, August 3rd, 2021. What a crazy week or so in the world of sports. Thanks for tuning in to That's What G Said, everyone. Gina Bacola here with you as always. And we are going to bounce around and go through all of the major moves in NBA free agency. Some teams are completely different. The last few days, it kind of all started with that Westbrook trade a few days ago to the the Lakers at the end of uh, last week. And that just... Got everybody set up with the draft last weekend um, and heading into free agency, which was on Monday. We're going to get through all of the moves in the NBA. Then we bounce into the baseball trade deadline. We're going to finalize everything that happened, which teams improved themselves the most, which teams did not. Full segment going through really all of the teams that made big trades and, and how much they will move the needle. Then we'll get into uh, the racing portion. We'll set you up with what's happening at Stable Duel for uh, the week. We'll get into Saratoga Wednesday best bets, Saratoga Thursday best bets, Del Mar Thursday best bets. Then we get into the old wrestling rewatch. We're heading back to the Royal Rumble 2014. Remember the one where uh, everybody was chanting for Daniel Bryan? He was not in the Rumble. And then they have to end up changing the plans leading up to WrestleMania 30. So we're going to talk Royal Rumble. And then uh, in the next uh, Old Wrestling Rewatch, in, in probably next week sometime, we're going to talk uh, WrestleMania 30. So, yep, you heard it. NBA, all the major news. Baseball, all the major news. Wednesday and Thursday racing. You've got Saratoga and Del Mar. Then we got an Old Wrestling Rewatch for you on this loaded edition. That's what G said podcast that is presented by better than dot Vegas at BTV bets on Twitter. So this is a website. If you are someone who gambles, which I'd imagine a lot of you who are listening here do, uh, you have to check out better than dot Vegas every single day because it's totally free. And there's a bunch of different handicappers and gamblers from all over the world that will post videos sharing their best bets every single day doesn't cost you anything to listen to get all of that information. And sure, there are probably going to be some people that you you listen to and you roll your eyes. And then there are going to be others that you go, wow, that, that was great information that you pick up from. That's how I like to obtain my information. I listen and read and just kind of watch as much as possible. I think you can learn something from everyone, especially in gambling. Better than dot Vegas, totally free every single day. Right now, there are gamblers from all around the world playing every Olympic sport, like everything you could imagine. Baseball plays every single day. We're going to start getting into football. Um, Just a wealth of information that you didn't even know existed, and it doesn't cost you a cent. The Twitter handle, at BTVBets, every night, eh, day or night, when the big sports games are on, they will put up polls throughout the day for everyone to vote on. And if you just follow them on Twitter vote in the polls, and help retweet and and share some of the polls, they will randomly pick one of their followers every night, and they put a parlay together, and if they pick you, you get the winnings. Just check out the Twitter feed. They're literally giving away cash to people just for following along. They're trying to build up this following better than dot Vegas. So give them a follow. You will get great gambling information for free, and you'll have the chance to win money just for nothing, just for helping out and, and reposting and sharing some stuff on social media. And remember, the reason why all of that stuff is free, because it's brought to you by Manscaped.com. Promo code 2IDIOTS will get you 20% off and free shipping from Manscaped. We're going to get right into NBA free agency. So, really all started 
Um, and Monday was the first day of NBA free agency when all the deals could actually be reported and teams could actually talk with each other. And I think some of the first dominoes were, I think the big, the first big one was Lonzo. Lonzo Ball headed to Chicago, four years, eighty-five million to the Bulls. So that was like the first big uh, move. Chicago also guaranteed that that young and Sadoransky. So you've got Hardaway headed back to Dallas, four years, seventy-two million. Nice move for the uh, for the Mavs there. There was uh, some some different parts that needed to be worked out in that Lonzo Ball. Sign and trade. It was actually a sign and trade. Um, Garrett Temple ends up heading back to New Orleans, and there were other moving parts. We'll get to them in a second. I think I have the uh, the other pieces. Uh, Knicks retained a couple of their players from last year. Three year deal with Alec Burks, thirty million, and no- uh, Nerlens Noel, thirty two million. I mean, the moves for the Knicks all make sense. They brought everybody back. They just couldn't really make a big splashy move. But what I like with with what they did, and we'll talk about more of them, is. They have a lot of players that are in that sort of you no know, $10 million range, which means they're kind of easy pieces to move and to trade. And you can you can stack two or three of them to get a real key piece throughout the year. So I think they just put themselves in a pretty good spot. We're Jared Allen, big money for uh, center Jared Allen, but he's he's really worth it. Five years, $100 million to stay with the Cavs. Um, Congrats, Jared Allen, getting paid. Kelly Olynyk, uh, Kelly Olynyk, excuse me, will give um he'll give Detroit a little bit of versatility with the big man position. It'll help, you know, some of their young, you know, Cunningham, someone who needs the ball in their hand, get a little space to create, and it gives them a big that can stretch the floor and that can shoot. Kelly and Olynyk, three. Why can't I say Kelly's name? Olynyk, three years, thirty-seven million. Uh, Barton returns to Denver. Will Barton, two-year, $32 million deal to stay with the Nuggets. And they're going to need a lot from him because who knows uh, the status of Jamal Murray. Mike Conley getting paid three years, $72.5 million deal to stay with the Jazz. And Mike Conley being injured and not being Mike Conley in the playoffs is probably what was the difference between them winning and losing that series against the Clippers. We got uh, TJ McConnell, four years, $35 million to stay with the Pacers. Kyle Lowry, this was a big one. And this is a move that I think is going to be a big deal. Kyle Lowry heads to Miami. So you put Lowry now next to Jimmy Butler. Duncan Robinson is the next one we're going to talk about. Five years, $90 million to stay with the Heat. You put them with Bam. They added a couple other nice pieces that we'll get to. I think this is... Putting Lowry next to Butler is going to make things better and easier on on both of them. It's going to make life a lot easier on on Bam too, because it'll get Bam like a a real more of a real point guard. Because you know they've had Dragic and Dragic was good. He's been a little bit older, but just someone who can really get everybody involved and run a team. And I think Lowry is going to be excellent for them. So five years, $90 million for Duncan Robinson, the largest deal ever for an undrafted player. Awesome stuff for Duncan. Torrey Craig, two years, $10 million with the Pacers. Chris Paul opted out of a $44 million player option, and he signed a new four-year deal worth $120 million. CP3 locking it up with the Suns. Dougie McBuckets, McDermott, three-year, $42 million deal with the Spurs. A couple sneaky moves from the Spurs that I liked, um, and and I thought McDermott's a good one for them. 
Jeff Green, two years, $10 million with the Nuggets. Sterling Brown, two years uh, with the Mavs. Mo Harkless, two years, $9 million with the Kings. How could you be, Mo Harkless? Backup center, Bobon, staying with Dallas for uh, just a one-year deal. Reggie Bullock with the Mavs. That gives them a, a sharpshooter there. Cormans, three-year, $15 million deal to stay with the 76ers. Nice piece off the bench for them. Gary Trent Jr. agreed to the three-year, $54 million deal to return to the Raptors. He came earlier in the year in that trade from uh, that sent Powell to, uh, to Portland. This is the other one for the Spurs. Zach Collins, three-year, $22 million. He's been banged up. He's been hurt. If he's healthy, expect the Spurs to get the absolute best out of him. Mike Muscala, two-year, $7 million deal to head to OKC. Ariza headed to the Lakers. So I actually... You know, everybody's making fun of the Lakers because they have a lot. They're old, right? And can't beat around the bush. They have a lot of older players. I don't think, I don't mind most of the moves individually. Um, and they're going to be a lot better offensively. I just, I'm I'm very concerned about the defense and just the way all the pieces kind of fit. Um, but Ariza, one-year deal with the Lakers. Dwight Howard. One-year deal with the Lakers, so he's back. He'll be the backup big man there. Solomon Hill, one-year deal with the Atlanta Hawks. Fournier, Knicks, four-year deal, about $80 million. And what, what this does is, is Fournier going to, you know, be an absolute game-changer? Probably not, but he's going to give them somebody else who can score, hit hit a shot, create a little bit, and this is what I was talking about for the Knicks too. That's a nice contract that you know you can piece with another to go try to get someone bigger, go try to get a bigger star if need be. If if this fit does is doesn't work out all that great, so I don't mind what the Knicks did. We uh, get Derrick Rose, three or forty three million dollar deal to return to the neck. The Knicks give them big punch off the bench. Nick Batum back to the Clippers. He was excellent for the Clippers last year. Two year deal and a player option in the second. Ah, uh, this is the one that killed me. Alex Caruso, four years, thirty seven million dollar deal with the Bulls. Now Lakers, I don't care about the luxury tax. Like as a la- as a fan of a team with these. Are billion dollar owners If it's something that's Against the salary cap And it will actually If it's picking between one or the other Or you can't have this but you can't have that That's different But when you have your own players The Lakers with the opportunity To keep Caruso And match what he was offered And you can go over the salary cap But you do have to pay the luxury tax I'm supposed to feel bad for Jeannie Buss That she doesn't want to pay the luxury tax This is something that small market teams do Because their owners don't have as much money As some of the other bigger owners I'm I'm supposed to feel bad as a Laker fan That yeah maybe she just doesn't want to pay that much Why? The Lakers print money This is one of the biggest brands out there And now I mean is Caruso an all-star? No, but Caruso is absolutely a winning player on your team. Someone who plays defense, who does exactly what you need, who dives for loose balls, does all the dirty work. When I say plays defense, I mean he is one of the best defensive guard in the entire league. Um, this is a, a bummer. People will look at some of Caruso's stats and see that, yeah, he doesn't score. He's, he doesn't have like a lot of your sexy counting stats. Because he's playing next to LeBron and AD. He does everything that you need 
the players around stars to do. And this is a big time bummer. Because what, what this also does for the Lakers is it puts them in a situation where they don't have one player on their team that's been here longer than LeBron now. They just got rid of KCP, Kuzma, and Caruso, who had been their longest tenured Lakers. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm a little bummed. This is what happens when you, uh, you know, you you are invested in some of these players and you in and you you watch them for a while. Um, I'm gonna root for the Lakers. I'm not gonna be like mad. It just feels like um, there are a lot of hired guns on this Laker team. You don't have any of these young players to to that you kind of grew up with. Uh, for some of the struggling years That was what was great about seeing Kuzma And Caruso and even KCP They were playing on, on some Bad Laker teams Everybody laughs They they were, the Lakers had their worst years ever Before winning the title The worst string of years In Laker history all in a row Before recently winning with LeBron So This one This one's going to hurt for Laker fans for a long time Caruso loved it here Everybody liked him. Um, Got to find out more about this, but yeah, real real bummer. Daniel Tice, four year, thirty six million dollar deal to go to the Rockets. Cody Zeller on a one year deal to the Blazers. Bucks two year, nine million dollar deal for Bobby Portis, taking less money to come home. Bobby Portis, shout out to him, huge fan favorite there. He was at WWE, I think last week, getting a big pop when they were in Milwaukee. Norman Powell, five-year, $90 million deal to head back to Portland. Blake Griffin, one-year deal to stay with the Nets. Max Struess returning to the Miami Heat, two-year, $3.5 million. Lakers signed Kent Bazemore. This is fine. Um, one-year contract. Bazemore has a really good wingspan. He can defend multiple positions. He can hit a perimeter shot if you need, and he's a fine like 15, 20-minute-a-game player. He'll fill in a lot of the gaps. Nuggets, two-year, $17 million deal to keep Jamichael Green. Semi Ojale heads to the Bucks for a year. Trey Young extended uh, his deal. Five years now, $207 million rookie max. Shea Gilgis, five-year, $172 million rookie max. Uh, he extended with the, uh, the Thunder. And then earlier today... Sam Decker heading back to the NBA uh, with the Raptors. We've got Rudy Gay, two-year deal to the Jazz. I think that's a very nice pickup for Utah. Really, really solid. Uh, The Lakers were looking into trying to get Rudy. Bielitsa, one-year deal with Golden State Warriors. He will help them. them, Gives them a little more versatility with the big that can stretch. Bruce Brown, one-year qualifying offer to head back to Brooklyn. Rodney Hood, one-year deal to the Bucks, gives them a little more shooting there. That's a nice one for them. Free agent forward James Johnson, one-year deal with the Nets, gives them some toughness. Andre Dum- uh, Drummond, Drummond, I was going to say Drummond, one-year deal with the 76ers. He's He basically flipped spots now with Dwight. He's going to go be uh, the backup to Embiid. And then the Lakers got Malik Monk, who is finally a little bit of youth on the Lakers. He's a guard, and he can shoot. Terrible at defense, but boy, he can shoot. He can shoot very well, and he should be wide open. And then Carmelo Anthony. So the Lakers can throw out lineups of Russell Westbrook, Ariza, Carmelo, LeBron, Dwight Howard. Wow. This is going to be polarizing and interesting. Never a dull moment in uh, in Lakerland, huh? And then Steph Curry 
gets a four-year, $215 million extension, making him the first player in history to sign two $200 million plus plus contracts. So congratulations to Steph, who was just incredible last year. Big money going around, and uh, it's like anything, right? It's supply and demand. I know as all of us that don't make the millions and millions, we hear that money being floated around, and it's hard not to kind of resent some of the players sometimes when you hear how much they're making, but I'm always in the camp of, like, they earn it. That's They're getting that money because of ticket sales, jersey sales, TV deals, ratings, the work that they've put in, the fact that they are the top. Think about this. In almost any industry, the best of the best of the best of the best are going to be getting paid a lot. Now, the major difference is, is that the best in those industries, their fields aren't entertaining to watch, right? Um, people aren't going to pay and, and sell out an arena to watch the best um, waiter, which I thought I was a really good waiter, you know. <laughs> but that's and that's that's why I'm always for the, the the players that can get the money right. You're worth whatever someone's going to pay you. And uh, shout out to everyone that got paid and and helped change their families' lives forever. For a lot of these players with some of these uh, contracts that they get, so. NBA free agency Let's see how the Lakers fill in uh, around This is like middle of Tuesday as I'm recording this So anything else that, that's happening Afterwards Is uh, is you know Stuff that uh, will not be on the show Because that was about the last thing The uh, the Monk and the Carmelo Moves that uh, I was uh, I was Looking at before we started recording So we're going to get into the MLB trade Deadline in just a minute first we want to remind you About our friends over at sarahcandles.com C-E-R-A candles.com All natural soy Wax candles free from Toxins that are found in, in All the, the other leading candle Brands no carcinogens no Pollutants promo code G-I-N-O that will get you 10% off your order Promo code G-I-N-O Gets you 10% off your order Let's head over to baseball The biggest trade deadline In history 10 players that were all-stars This year got traded And a lot of it has to do with the fact that The August 31st waiver Period is no more So this is it Remember we used to have a trade deadline And then that big period later in the year Where teams would would release players, they would clear waivers, and then huge moves could still happen. Well, now we basically combine two trade deadlines into one period, and and that's only it's only been this way for a couple years. And last year was a different type of year, so yeah, this is unlike any that I could ever remember. The the Cubs, the Nationals, the Twins were just huge sellers. The Cubs traded away eight of their players, basically the entire nucleus of this Cubs team that has been good for the last you know eight to ten years. Um, so so crazy to try to like keep up with everything that was happening simultaneously in in baseball and in basketball. Right now, let's take a look around at the uh, the standings, and then we'll we'll bounce into who who did what. So the Rays are currently a game up on Boston in the American League East, and Boston I think really suffered at the trade deadline because the Rays made moves, the Yankees made moves, the Blue Jays made moves, and the Red Sox just stood pat. The White Sox made moves. The Astros made moves, the A's made moves Like everybody was doing something except Boston And the only move they really made Was they brought in Schwarber And if Schwarber has to play first Or or defensively anywhere 
he's not going to he's going to be a defensive liability and he's hurt apparently he's not going to be playing for a while anyway so i didn't love what boston did in the central the white Sox have a, an eight and a half game lead over the indians so they're just kind of cruising along there the indians are just a game over 500 detroit kc and minnesota are struggling in the al west the astros they tried to better themselves. So did the Oakland A's, who are four and a half games behind Houston. The Mariners are seven games over 500. They were in the middle of a couple moves. Also, um, they're only they're seven and a half games behind the Astros, but they're still right, right in the thick of the playoff race. And as far as wild cards are concerned, we've got the Mets and the Phillies as your top two teams in the NL East. The the Mets are. Two and a half games up on the Phillies. The, they're three and a half games up on the Braves, who are starting to play a little bit better now. Um, the Nationals and the Marlins round out that NL East. In the Central, the Brewers tried to get a little better. The Reds also tried to get a little bit better. Um, the Brewers have a seven and a half game lead in the NL Central over the Reds, who are 56 and 60, and kind of in that spot that we were just talking about with Seattle, where yeah, maybe they can't catch him a division winner, but they should be right in the thick of things for a, a wild card berth. And that wild card berth is not going to be easy in the uh, National League because the Giants just don't go away. They are three and a half games up on the Dodgers still. The Giants made some moves at the deadline. The Dodgers made some moves. The Padres made some moves. And they're seven games behind the uh, the Giants for, in the division uh, race right now. So, that's a look at where teams stand, but let's talk about how teams um, improved or may have not improved their chances uh, with what they did at the trade deadline. And the team, based on the playoff probabilities that I'm using from uh, Fangraphs, which is a really great website, you should check out Fangraphs.com. The Yankees had the biggest change in percentage of making the playoffs from before the trade deadline to after. And it's not really close. They they are 8.7% more likely to make the playoffs now than they were before the trade deadline. Atlanta is 6.7% more likely. The Brewers are 2%. So just to give you an idea, the Yankees, almost 9%. The Braves, almost 7 And then nobody else, more than 2% more likely. So that just shows you how big of improvements the Yankees did make. Now, one thing to keep an eye on with the Yankees Garrett Cole is now has COVID, so he's going to be missing a start. And Heaney, who pitched for them and will probably, you know, was someone who seemed like would be a, a fine fit, is just be able to eat some innings and be better than the options they had. He did not look good against uh, against Baltimore when the Yankees got lit up on Monday. But the improvement in their lineup now, bringing in Gallo and Rizzo, compared to the less than replacement level players that they were were throwing out there every day. They have a 3% more a higher chance of uh of winning the World Series too, which is which is crazy. And the uh the Yankees feel it, it, things feel a little bit better for the Yankees right now than they did uh just a week ago. So uh they were considered one of the major uh major winners in in this uh FanGraphs article that I'm going to reference a little bit. Yeah, left-handed power hitting, you get Joey Gallo, you get Rizzo, um you get Heaney, better than his ERA proves stability for rotation um that has, you know, been banged up. So, largest change in playoff and World Series probabilities. Then the Giants, you know, bringing in Chris Bryant. So, 
the this is just like all of us. The projections have regularly given the Dodgers a better shot at the division than the Giants, even when they've been behind in the standings by several games. And this is a that's because they don't see the Giants as being this good of a team. But any addition was going to have a larger effect on them than the same kind of a move would make for the Dodgers because the Dodgers are already projected as like the best team. They they don't have very many places where you can improve them all that much. Whereas the Giants still can. You bring in Chris Bryant, and he can play third. He can play outfield. Um, we'll see what happens when Longoria returns. And this has improved their projections quite a bit and has, has given them a bat right in the middle of their lineup that will really help make their make their batting order much scarier. The Dodgers, obviously, not only do they bring in Scherzer and Trey Turner, but they the key, as it was saying, they deny Scherzer to go to the Padres, which is just as good as as getting him. The Braves, they bring in a great bullpen arm in Richard Rodriguez, and now over the last couple of weeks, they've brought in Jock Peterson, uh, Jorge Soler, Adam Duvall, and Eddie Rosario. Those are all solid big leaguers. No MVP candidates right now, but I, I like those moves. In the one note that it's got here in, in Fangraphs is it, it's too bad the moves weren't made a month ago. But still better than never, and it gives them the opportunity now in a... I mean, DeGrom's going to be out for a little while for the Mets. Who knows what's going to happen there now. Good trade deadline for the Blue Jays. They get Berrios, and they added to the bullpen quite a bit. And what's nice is Berrios helps them moving forward. He's a starting pitcher that's going to be a top-of-the-line starting pitcher for them moving forward. So not only does this help them now, it also helps... Um, kind of fill a void of something they'd be looking for in the offseason. Phillies needed a starting pitcher. They get one in Kyle Gibson. So I'm reading from this uh, Fangraphs article a lot of these uh, um, quotes and stuff. Um, still under contract for 2022. And they added Freddie Galvis for depth. The White Sox, they add Kimbrel and Ryan Tapera. So the Fangraphs is projecting them now to have the best bullpen in baseball. They bring in Cesar Hernandez who's a really good second baseman, like very solid, can hit for power, and they're they're set up really well, kind of quietly, floating under the radar too. The A's bring in Starlin Marte, although they do get rid of uh, Lazardo, who has always had great stuff and has been highly regarded, but he's been inconsistent. The, uh, the projections of Fangrass actually like Oakland a little bit more than Houston now. The so the Nationals, Twins, Rangers, and Cubs are all considered winners because they recognized reality and they traded significant players for a lot of talent. Right? They knew that these teams knew that we're not making it. We're gonna end up losing a lot of these players for nothing. And this might be a little frustrating for a fan base in the middle of the year, but let's do what's best for our for our organization moving forward. The Marlins are are an interesting team because now they bring in Jesus Lazardo. So look at some of the arms they have moving forward. Lazardo, Trevor Rogers, Pablo Lopez, Sandy Alcantara, Sixto Sanchez. And there are a couple others like Edward Cabrera, Braxton Garrett that are mentioned. Some incredible arms there in Miami. The next group of teams are considered by Fangraphs the losers from the trade deadline. Teams that may not have done all that well. Uh, the Padres now... They were looked to be 
bringing in Scherzer, but the Dodgers end up giving more and stealing Scherzer, and then they lose Fernando Tatis Jr., not to a trade, but to injury right after the trade deadline. So if you knew that he was hurt right before, maybe you can make another move to kind of help give you a little depth or help fill the void if you're not sure about him. This is the, I think, third time he's had a dislocated shoulder this year. And so you got to start wondering if it may be time to kind of shut him down and, and figure out how to fix that thing because you don't want to be in a situation where you have this awesome, could be face of baseball, definite face of your franchise moving forward, um, you know, having shoulder problems. So the Padres, they, uh, you know, they make a move or two, but the, the big ones, they just, you know, there were a lot of players they were rumored for that they, uh, they got outbid on. The Rockies, they didn't do really anything. Um, looked like they were going to get rid of... I mean, they, they traded Michael Givens. They didn't get rid of Story or Marquez or John Gray or Daniel Bard, who all probably could have gotten back, you know, something. Significant something. The Angels, uh, they didn't want to go for it at all. But then they didn't give anything up. They didn't... Get rid of Russell Iglesias or Alex Cobb or Sishek or Jose Iglesias. They're all free agents. Cobb has actually been sneaky good. Trout probably coming back soon. So you're just going to be kind of floating around. They didn't go all in, but they didn't sell. They just decided that maybe they think with Trout coming back, that'll be enough to give them a boost. The, the Mets don't look as great because the Braves and the Phillies did more to help them while the Mets didn't do very much. Rich Hill they brought in, but now he's kind of going to have to fill in for DeGrom. Um, Baez is a good pickup for them, but they they still needed more pitching. And uh, I, I don't know now if without DeGrom, they're going to have enough there on the uh, as far as the arms are concerned. And then the Red Sox, um, you know, they're going to get Chris Sale. They add Schwarber. But it's not the best for left-handed sluggers. Um, and he's not a great fielder. And he's got injury issues. So, same sort of thing. Like, Boston looks around and the teams next to them got a little better. The Rays picked up Nelson Cruz. Probably not as big of a move as what the Yankees or Blue Jays did overall. But he will really help give them a nice bat in the middle of their lineup. So the like the Rays, Brewers, Astros, Reds all uh, all seem to be like slightly positive. The Brewers bring in uh, Eduardo Escobar, who's uh, who had an awesome game uh, on uh, Monday. They already uh, acquired Willie Adamas too, so that that's been a big help. Houston adds a great great piece to their bullpen in Kendall Graveman, and so that you know. They do lose Miles Straw, but Graveman will help with a major weakness right now in their bullpen. And then the Reds get Michael Givens and Lewis Sessa because uh, their bullpen has just been horrible. So they are hoping that'll give them a little bit of a boost as they try to battle for a wild card spot. MLB teams are set now for the final stretch. 55-60 games left or so. And let's see. Because um, a lot of these divisions, the races aren't that close. So um, we'll see if anyone can start to make moves over the next couple weeks or it just might be crazy wild card races uh, heading into the baseball playoffs. So we will continue to check in as the baseball season now starts to heat up. 
We're going to shift our focus and now it's time to talk some horse racing. Anytime I'm handicapping, anytime I'm playing the races, it's with DRF. Horse racing fans, many of us have been using the DRF, the daily racing form, for years, studying the races, keeping up to date on news with all the articles. I remember looking for a copy at the local liquor store or picking one up at the local racetrack, wherever I was going. Now it's even easier and cheaper than ever to use DRF with DRF.com and the newly optimized DRF mobile. You can get all the tracks that you want to bet and handicap. Past performances that are mobile optimized for on-the-go handicapping on your phone. So you go to drf.com from your mobile device, no additional cost. Tap the calendar icon on the top left. It opens all of the options for past performances and for the tools that are available. One click to bet now and DRF bets. Get real-time odds and scratches on race day. You can tap on any horse and you get those same DRF past performances that you're familiar with with a larger font for your mobile display. One click to formulator for charts, for replays if you get the formulator version, and even on the classic past performances, you get the home screen with horses, with odds, with buyers. You get a lifetime buyer speed figure graph. You can rotate your phone for the best view, and any horse that you click on, you'll see the running lines. You can easily move from horse to horse. The same data as those traditional classic DRF past performances. You get an interactive format, which is very similar to the DRF classic version that you're used to on the desktop. Every card includes live data updated instantly with those scratches. And so you get the accessibility from desktop to phone, cross-device functionality. You can take your notes and save them from one device to the next and then access your account on any of your devices. On-the-go handicapping and wagering, multiple formats to view. You got the overview page with recent speed figures, current day's odds, easy access to expert selections and analysis. You got the buyer speed figure graph with lifetime buyer speed figures and chart notes for every horse. And you got those traditional DRF pass performances that are just newly optimized for your mobile phones. They are constantly upgrading, improving, and making everything easier for you to get your handicapping done at DRF.com. And I'm handicapping those races all the time, and I'm looking to see which stable duel contests there are each and every day. Stable duel You can get all the information there. You can download the app. It's totally free. Download it from uh, your Android, from your iOS device, anywhere. And then you enter whatever contest you want for whatever tracks. So on Wednesday, Delaware Colonial Parks Thistledown all have different options. Three different contests at Colonial, four tracks, seven different games, and a free game at Colonial. Nothing. Costs you nothing to enter. You get three games at Del Mar on Thursday, uh, a 10, a 50, and a 500. Four tracks, total seven games. There's a free game at Delaware, and there are games all the way up to $500 in entry fees. Del Mar, Delaware, Emerald, and Woodbine, that's all on Thursday. What about Friday over at Stable Duel? We've got five tracks, nine games, three contests each at Gulfstream and at Del Mar. Del Mar, Gulfstream, Ellis, Monmouth, Penn National, Game starting for as low as 7 bucks all the way up to 500 Del Mar, Gulfstream, Delaware, Woodbine, and Ellis are all of your options on Saturday, 
August the 7th. Five tracks, nine games, multiple contests at Del Mar, Gulfstream, Delaware, from $10 all the way up to $500. Sunday, August the 8th, Del Mar, Gulfstream, Woodbine, Ellis, Emerald. Five tracks, nine games, a free ride over at Woodbine. Game starting at $10, ranging all the way up to $500. That is your week schedule at Stable Duel. Let's get into some handicapping. Let's make some money. And I'm going to head to Saratoga for Wednesday. Get those past performances out. Uh, we're going to head to race number three. And there's a real interesting horse in here to keep an eye on. Um, it's a maiden special weight race. We're going five and a half furlongs on the turf. The number eight, uh, CRM. So, horse, do they only pay twenty five thousand for? But has a really nice pedigree, and I, and there's something there. Uh, the barn isn't necessarily known for their success with first time starters, but they can hit with the with the capable firster. Um, this damn database won her debut, was six for twenty eight, with stakes placed, and CRM is a half to Data Link, who is eight for fifteen, Grade One winner, multiple graded stakes winner. She is 10-1 to 1 on the morning line. If she's anything around 6, I think she's worthy of playing and, and probably uh, one to include in your early exotics. In the 4th at Saratoga, we've got uh, New York Bread first level allowance. They're going to go a mile and an 8th on the main in here. Electric Youth, who will be going long on the dirt for the first time. Her dam won at a mile on the dirt. The lone sieve won going a mile on the dirt. I think she's going to get to save all the ground from the inside. And she just deserves an opportunity to go fast, long, inside with some pace in here. The number one, Electric Youth, 6-1 to one morning line. And uh, anything around 4-1 to one or so feels fair. Race number five at Saratoga. I'm looking at the one. This is a New York Stallion Stakes. Fun while it lasted. Will probably be an exotic single for me. Um, she was mid-pack sitting 6th, 7th, but she was about four lengths off. She was tucked behind horses. She was pinned in. She had to make this big, early 5-6 wide move. I thought it was a really solid second-place finish. And now should likely get a much better trip from the inside. Fun while it lasted. The number one will treat as an exotic single off of that 5-2 to two morning line. In race number seven, uh, I'm a little. I think the eight is probably the one to beat. I had um, him pegged as a two to one spot, two to one shot. It just feels like a great spot for him, where I'm just not scared of anyone in here. So if if he's anything over two to one, maybe he'll play to win, and and I would treat him sort of like a, a late exotic single. The eighth race, probably not going to get too cute in the shine again here. Seven furlongs. Um, I think it's between Byroness, Ant Cat, and Casual. And, you know, Casual has faced some good ones. Chub Wagon, who's 8 for 8. Edgeway, uh, Kamari's a gr- who's a four time winner. Kamari's a grade one winner. So, Ant Cat's the one to catch. Byroness, the rail draw concerns me, but she's super honest. And then Casual, maybe if you're looking for a little bit of value in here. In the ninth race, I'm going to the five. Uh, no, excuse me. In the ninth race, I'm going to go to the eight at five to one on the morning line. Argon, who is now going to go second start off of the bench and just two start. So look at his recency. He had two starts in the last six months of 2019. He only had two starts in 2020, and now he just had one start to 2021. I feel like he's going to get so much out of this race from a fitness standpoint. Recently behind Pixelate, who's a grade 2 winner. Say the Word is a grade 1 winner. 
breaking the rules in digital age. You see Eons, who came back to win $150,000 stakes at Colonial next out. I think he's just coming out of some really nice races, puts two together, expecting a lot more punch today with this class relief. Uh, Argon, the number eight in race number nine, anything around seven to two or so worthy of uh, of some inclusion in a, a win wager there. So uh, that is Wednesday, Saratoga in the third, the number eight. Keep an eye. We need about six to one there in the four, uh, C-A-M, uh, CRM. In the fourth, the number one, Electric Youth, we need around four to one. In the fifth, I'll treat the one like an exotic single. In the seventh, Diamond uh, Determined Fury like an exotic single. And in the ninth, the eight, Argon, um, seven to two-ish is what we would need on that one. So that is Wednesday racing. Let's bounce over and uh, get a little Thursday Saratoga action in. Gotta be honest, didn't really love the uh, the Thursday Saratoga card all that much. We were kind of joking about it with Andrew and Darren um, as we were handicapping. I just, I couldn't really find a, a whole lot of horses that I loved. Let's get the past performances out, though, for uh, August the 5th, for Thursday. And let's flip to race number three. I'm looking at the nine New York's finest, and I'm just tossing his last effort. And I'm looking back at two starts back where he's beating 16 claimers. He is a real fit with this group. And the horse absolutely loves Saratoga. He loves this trip. Saez jumps aboard. Plenty of things to like about New York's finest. Just put a line through that last one. Anything around 7-2 to two feels fair. In the fourth race, I'm looking at the five made my day. I believe he's 9-2 to two on the morning line. In his last start on June the 18th, he was inside with the leaders. He took back. He settled third. And then he got caught behind horses. It was a fine third. Uh, He lost to a wire-to-wire winner that day. And if you look through some of his lines, the horse who beat him two starts back is stakes placed. And he's now going to go second start off the bench, second start off the six-plus-month layoff. Let's go with made my day. The number five, anything around nine to two or so feels fair. Nine to two morning line. I haven't pegged at three to one. So that's my value line there. In the seventh race at Saratoga, race number seven is a mile turf course starter, uh, 50 allowance. The five, Mr. Kringle, is the play for me. I put a line through the sloppy race two starts back. He needed his first start of the year, and then he really improved and, and finished second. Now, he's. A horse who will have some legitimate trouble But I think Lascano knows him pretty well now He's been aboard and he'll kind of know What to do with him um, He's going to need the right type of trip But if he's anything around 5-1 to one, That feels really fair I'll use him with Land Biscuit who feels like the one to beat So the 5, Mr. Kringle Anything around 5-1 to one or so And we'll include with the 7 So in the 3rd, the number 9, New York's finest We'd need around 7-2 to two. In the fourth, the number five made my day. We'd need around three to one, and in the seventh, the number five, Mister Kringle. We'd need around five to one or so. Right now, right now, open up another tab on the computer or on the the phone or whatever you're uh, you're listening to this on, and and check out OldSmokeClothing.com. I know you're a horse racing fan because you're hearing all this uh, horse racing analysis. We're talking. High-quality clothing and merchandise rooted in the iconic symbols of horse racing. You won't find places like this. T-shirts, hats, hoodies, zip-ups. Everything is horse racing. Wall-to-wall slogans, catchphrases, the names of famous horses, of famous racetracks, of, of big days in racing. You can create custom designs. And with the promo code G-I-N-O, it'll get you free shipping on your order from OldSmokeClothing.com. Let's head on over to Delmar for 
Thursday. A couple plays for you at Ford Del Mar Thursday. Get those past performances out. We're going to start in race number one with the seven, Smiling Ann, who she she tried to, you know, she broke well, and then they, they grabbed a hold of her on the inside. She wanted to go. They couldn't get her to relax. They were going really slow, really, really slow. I did not like the ride at all. Uh, two starts back, she lost to a horse that has won three in a row at uh, sixty-two fifty. Then stepped up to eighteen thousand. Then stepped up to twenty thousand. Smiling and third start off the long, long layoff. Second start for this new barn. Kyle Frey, who's riding really well, jumps aboard. I think you're going to get a lot better ride on this one. Smiling and if she's anything over five to two, I'm going to play her to win the opener at Del Mar on Thursday. We move to race number three. At Del Mar, they're going to go a mile in here. We've got Maiden Special Weights, three-year-olds and up. I think the one, two, so we could see inside speed from what? Esagare, Park Avenue, Optimus, stretching out, flipping fast is going to be right there on the lead. So that leads me to think this race is going to be setting up for someone to come from off the pace a little bit, which would be Angel, Angel of Freedom. Who will likely be the favorite in here Comes out of some good races But the horse who I'm expecting to run a big one is Lisette So she tried the turf in her first two starts And then her her second start, it wasn't bad actually She finished behind a horse named Golden um, in, in both of those races Ivy Lee came out of there to win Then on June the 10th she tries the dirt she, And she's sprinting She finishes fourth in a race where the second and third place finishers Both came out to win maiden special weight races so the January race, there were three next out winners. The June race, there were two next out winners. It's a race that's going to set up really well for someone from off the pace. She's going to stretch out from six to a mile on the dirt for a, a very patient barn. Give me Lisette in here. Anything around seven to two feels very fair. And I would include Lisette if you're playing Maltese exotics or other stuff. I would play the six over the four or five. Let's move to race number six at Del Mar on Thursday. And I'm looking at the 10 in here. These are our Calbred, first level allowance, optional 20 claimers. And Big Mama Sue has been facing open company. And she just has been a brand new animal since going along on the turf. She's just visually looked so much better. Now, this is going to be a tougher spot, but... You know, you go from open company to Calbreds a lot of the time. It's more like a lateral move. Uh, I do respect Big Claire quite a bit in here. The eight, the three, nice ice has an opportunity to try to steal this race. Might be the speed of the speed. And she puts two together. So I have him stacked 10, three, eight in the sixth at Del Mar. If we can get anything around five to one on Big Mama Sue there, we'll make a win wager. Let's go bombs away in the seventh. It's the CTBA stakes, five and a half furlongs, the distance. What's wrong with the six, Irish Wahim? Visually, she was a step slow inside, then she moves through. She's six, she's about five lengths off. She angles around, then she has to wait. She gets room late, and then she she really shows something. The dam won on the dirt, two siblings won on the dirt. So there is plenty of dirt pedigree here. And they take a, a shot, sending her down to Del Mar after that race against Open Company. So now she'll be facing Calbreds. Give me Irish Joaquin. I'm using the six over the two at the spa and uh, the eight, who was a, a horse who actually crossed the wire first multiple times. So six, two, eight in the seventh. If Irish Joaquin, the number six, is anything over eight to one, we'll make a win wager there. That is Thursday at Del Mar in the opener. The number seven, Smiling Ann. We need around five to two. 
In the third, the six, Lisette, we'd need around seven to two. In the six, the ten, Big Mama Sue, we'd need around five to one or so. And in the seventh, the six, Irish Joaquin, we'd need around eight to one. That is Thursday over at Del Mar. I know someone who loves heading down to Del Mar, and that is our friend, full service realtor Cindy Carava. Now, her website is cindycarava.com, and as a full service realtor, she can help you out really with anything that you need buying, selling, Leasing. If you just want to improve your home, she can connect you with the type of vendors like gardeners, painters, landscapers. Maybe you need help getting approved for a home loan. She'll connect you with a lender that can help make that process much easier. You don't have to have a checklist going over everything. Let Cindy take care of all of that. You can see all of her listings right now at cindycarava.com, some of her previous work. There are reviews about her on Yelp and Zillow. She's all over social media, but the easiest way to stay in contact, cindycarava.com. Anything that you need at all. Heck, if you just want a free market analysis of your home's value, she will take care of that for you, cindycarava.com. We head into the old wrestling rewatch. This is going to be part one of a, really a two-part series. We're going to recap all of the Royal Rumble 2014, but it was Andrew's kind of choice on the on really the saga of Daniel Bryan as we go from uh, Royal Rumble 2014 to WrestleMania 30. So we start here with the Royal Rumble that, folks, is just plain bad. Uh, top to bottom, it's just not a great show. There's a really good match at the start, and then everything's Pretty much downhill from there. The crowd is not into it. These are some of the most fun shows to discuss with Andrew and with Darren. It's the Old Wrestling Rewatch. Oh, yeah. Old Wrestling Rewatch with Andrew Champagne and Darren Zocali. <laughs> the Old Wrestling Rewatch is back after a couple-week hiatus and we have a very interesting series of shows that we're going to be talking about you over the next uh, talking about with you over the next few. We're going to start here with Royal Rumble 2014, and then we're going to get to WrestleMania from later that year in our next episode. But before we get into any of the wrestling stuff, just have to give a, a quick 100% shout out to our buddy Darren Zocali, who you've heard on this show. For about 50 episodes of the old wrestling rewatch You've heard him helping us out Handicapping races all the time Different racetracks, big days all over New York, Florida Breeders' Cups, Kentucky Derbies Oaks, Triple Crown stuff um, Him and Andrew have probably been on this show As much as anyone I'd say of the 210 to 15 episodes You'd probably have the two of them uh, Over 75, probably close to 100 When we Dar- get to 100 We want royalties Yeah, yeah, Darren Zocali had one of the best days of his handicapping life and just a great day overall. You've probably heard the stories that he's told us in the last couple years of, of like starting to own horses and DZ. You got a big win on Monday with a 12 to one winner and a horse that you guys have done a great job with. And you ended up getting a score for 50 plus thousand dollars. Uh, take a couple of minutes. Tell us a little bit about that before we get into the wrestling. Well, I mean, everybody's going to hate you because we didn't do like a segment for the Monday Pick 5 at Indiana Grand. I know, right? How Seriously. dare you? How I'm dare you, Gino? I've had you on, and that was one of the times we have it, right? Seriously. <laughs> yeah. Look, it was it was just one of those kind of surreal days. Um, you know, Threat Level Midnight, the, the little filly that we claimed for 15000 at Turf over the winter, she was in the fifth race. Uh, a non-winners with two other than allowance going five on the turf in Indiana. 
Uh, we had, she was actually never supposed to be in that race. We had a scratcher about a week and a half before because she was in a $16,000 starter that came off the turf and she can't run on dirt at all. So this was actually like a fallback plan to run her in this tougher spot. Um, it started a pick five sequence. So it's just something I do. You know, I, 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 whenever my horse is in a sequence like that, I'll single them and try to turn it into a pick five, you know, pick five into a pick four, pick four into a pick three and see if I could hit something. And she won the race wire to wire by a, by a long neck, maybe a half length. And, uh, we had a survivor, a jockey's claim of foul, which I'll objectively say probably could have gone either way. Um, I thought she was clear in the stretch of the horse that alleged interference, but be that as it may, she did drift. So we caught, we got lucky there. Um, and I was single to a horse that I think paid $20 or $22 in the third leg that I really liked. And it was just kind of like one of those sequences that I looked at and said, well, the second leg, there's like four horses that I really can't separate that I'm going to use. The fourth leg was a two-year-old Indiana bred maiden special weight where it's just like throw a dart that I had to use like half the field. And I got lucky there because my longest price horse at 21 to one came in and I had five out of the eight horses in the last leg. And it was, it was bizarre because when they put up the will pays and I literally realized I have the only ticket, like there was five horses covered. They were such a cool, but like nervous feeling, right? When you see that you're like, what? Oh, you look back at your ticket just to make sure again that you like, didn't make a miss punch. You're like, I'm the only one, huh? Yep. My my partner, David called me up and he's like, dude, he's like, you have the only live ticket to this. Like, and I'm just like this, like, this is not, this can't happen. Like, you know, these kind of things just don't happen. It's 95 times out of a hundred or 99 times out of a hundred something along the way gets screwed up. But look, I, I mean, the, the single in the third leg was was a really good single. That was a handicapping single. But this would, there was a lot of luck involved in our Philly winning. And it just it, the stars just happened to align the right way. And this is one of those scores that, you know, if you play the races, is it a life-changing score? No, it's not life-changing. But, man, does it help life. Oh, <laughs> and, wow. And, uh, you know. It, that's, what, it, that's a lot of people's year. And, yeah. think, and when you yeah. think about the last two years, how yeah. how difficult it's been for a lot of people. Yeah. Heck, man, that is, it's a good time. And yeah, it's, what's so funny, I'm, it, I was literally before you even hit that, I was going on and just kissing your butt via text, telling you like how great you and all these guys have done, and and your partners have done just by these horses, and like yeah. you've done so well for them. I'm so glad you because you know you've had you don't have like you said it, you're not going out and, and spending millions on horses. You don't have 50 horses there, so if one or two of your horses has an issue or they need to be put up or put out for a little while, you know that's something that it it makes the difference you know you you just don't have unlimited stock and you guys have always done everything right by the horse you've taken really good care of them you've scratched them where they should have been scratched you've let the owners and you've let the trainers tell you what what you need to do you let the jockeys and then boom you hit this right after man i was yeah, like oh, i was <laughs> it, it's it's been fun i mean you know look we've we've had we've had some some good success for sure but um like you said we we try to do the right thing i mean we you know, we had we have a really nice allowance horse that needed a little bit of time off. We had to remove a very small bone chip from his knee that, you know, the, the vet and the surgeon said 99.9% of the owners would just continue to run him because it's not a, it's not an issue where the horse is going to damage himself anymore. But, 
they said at the same time it does cause some discomfort and we said he's a nice horse he's made some money for us let's remove that bone chip give him three months off and bring him back and hopefully he comes back even better and he'll be back uh he's he's back working out now and be back in a month and then we claimed a little five thousand dollar indiana filly about uh, a month and a half ago it turned out that she had an entrapped epiglottis that she was racing with we gave her the surgery you know it's a five thousand dollar claimer most people don't do those kinds of things but we invested the money we gave her the surgery to correct the issue we took the shoes off her feet and allowed her feet which were in some rough shape to kind of grow out gave her about six weeks off and now she's just you know running back and people have told us nobody does that with horses that they claim for five thousand dollars but you know we want to do the right thing by the horse and our trainer ethan west is a true horseman cares about the animal anything he wants to do we tell him absolutely whatever's in the best interest of the horse and you know uh, hopefully you know the success continues and and if we keep doing right by the horse they'll continue to you know return some dividends for us and help us out financially so major congrats to dz for the good couple days and uh and all of his partners in the team over there west in the thoreau crowd so um we'll uh make the transition on into royal rumble 2014 and andrew this was the show that you picked and what's really interesting about um when i think you picked it is you picked this show like three weeks ago, maybe even a month ago, and you know before we before all of this stuff yes, went down. Yeah, that's what's crazy. And then all of a sudden, Daniel Bryan and CM Punk are like in the news everywhere. Are they going to AEW? Who knows? When are they going to show up? Is somebody coming back to WWE? All this crazy stuff. But Andrew picked this show before any of that. It was just supposed to kind of be like the journey of of Daniel Bryan throughout this year, and now. Who knows? Is he going to show up maybe in uh, in the New York show for AEW? Is CM Punk going to show up in Chicago and then New York? Who, I, who, the, who knows? We will find out. But what's interesting about this show is just looking at the 30 in the Rumble. And, and uh, you've got 12 of the 30 that are still on the WWE roster. You've actually got, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six AEW. And then with a question mark to Punk, I mean, you got you look at Cody Rhodes, Rusev, Swagger, Goldust, Ambrose, uh, and uh, our rest in peace, uh, Luke Harper, um, all spent time in, in AEW. This isn't 10, 15, 20 years ago. This was seven years ago, uh, just to give you an idea of how the complexion and like the landscape of wrestling has shifted. And then, of course, the show was the last time we saw CM Punk in a WWE ring. The show was the show that probably... All in all really gave them the Okay we have to get behind Daniel Bryan Now so this is a very Newsworthy show even though it's Probably not a very great show As far as content is concerned and like In ring stuff so I'm going to start this the Way we ended the last wrestling Rewatch because Darren wasn't Here to hear my Me reading this note That was published on a website that I Frequent that wound up being The most incredible bit of foreshadowing ever for backstory i frequent scott keats blog of doom it's really cool there's a lot of good content there in his recap of the royal rumble eight years ago he led with a fan email that he got before the show darren you get to hear this for the first time gino you'll hear it again but it's so good i need to repeat it so here we go so far everyone seems to think it's a surefire bet that Batista is winning the Rumble and then going on to headline mania against either Cena or Orton. 
but Batista in his skinny jeans, Justin Bieber sweater, and nose stud looked like King Douche of Douche Mountain last week. If he wins the Rumble, that will be going against everything the fans actually want to see. That seems like a recipe for the fans to almost immediately turn on the guy. And Batista versus either Orton or Cena as the main event of WrestleMania seems like the most boring thing to ever be considered. So my question is this. If that's the main event we're getting for WrestleMania, what are the odds the crowd craps all over it and spends the entire match chanting for Daniel Bryan? Seems like that would be an awful big embarrassment for the main event of the 30th anniversary of WrestleMania, but I feel like that may be the path we're headed down. I repeat, that was an actual email sent to this guy before the show. I think he nailed it. He did. Yeah. He did. That's, uh, that's well done. <laughs> this well was... Done. Yeah, this... And, and you know... We can give credit to the WWE for, you know, finally going in that direction. Well, but you so can if tell. I jump in here. Yeah. So there is revisionist history that this was the plan all along. Oh, yeah. Bullshit. No total, way. total no way. bullshit. We can, and you yeah, can tell because the announcers in the Royal Rumble are very clearly being told to ignore the crowd. And Don't you can mention sense. Daniel Bryan. Nobody yes. picked him to, to in the Rumble. Nobody said it was not the plan. Not no, the plan. Not even and, remotely close. And so good, good job by them to not completely tank their show and turn – what could, what was actually turned it into a very good WrestleMania because you end up getting the great opener with Triple H and then you add Daniel Bryan to the match at the end and it's a, an, an excellent main event. So it ends up becoming a very, very good show. And think about right here where they were headed. If they don't make that pivot and go with Daniel Bryan, it, it w- they would have been in big, big trouble. They didn't make that call till really late. It was only like a month out, right? It was um, Elimination Chamber. You could sense they started building to it because initially the storyline was Brian joins the Wyatt family and does stuff with them. They dumped that very, very quickly. Now, I believe this came out a couple months ago that they had a preliminary booking sheet for WrestleMania and Brian's original dance partner was supposed to be Seamus, the tie back to the 18 seconds <laughs> yeah. thing. And look, that would have been fun, but it also wasn't what anybody wanted. And I'm also going to go out on a limb. Had WWE stuck to their guns on that, not only would we have gotten a horrible main event that the crowd just rejected completely, but try to imagine a show with that main event and the Undertaker's streak ending. That would have been the all-time insult to a lot, and I mean a lot, of fans that live and die with that product. Nothing to pick it back up. DZ, what were some of your overall thoughts on the rewatch of this show? You know, I, I remember I remember this being a very controversial time. Um, they, they lit a fire under Roman at this point. They didn't take it all the way, and it's kind of ironic 
because it probably was the one time they should have. <laughs> right? Oh, it's so funny. Yeah. The Roman Reigns cheers here. And this is the point that you've mentioned this a few times on the show. It's like, so if you are the WWE brass and you're watching backstage and you see this guy getting these kind of cheers here and you see him in the ring and he looks like a star, like, why aren't you saying, yeah. Oh yeah, I'm gonna go with this guy. And then when they do, WWE hated him. Well, now sure, or the the fans hated him. Sure enough, we've seen and we've talked about some of the reasons why. And now he is sort of this guy who they always wanted him to be. But it is it is really funny to see him where he is at this point. To see you know Punk and Daniel Bryan in particular. So I mean, and and the crazy thing is, the crazy thing is, you're seeing you know this is probably the most positive response. That Roman gets at, at virtually any point of his career. I mean, he was big with the Shield, but you know he, he's getting a, a huge response throughout this Rumble match. And clearly, that crowd is like ninety to ten Roman when it's him and Batista at the end. And I'm not saying that you know that that means you should have changed what you were doing here. But my question is, why would you then take Roman, who's getting over big time with this crowd? And put him in the same spot you put Batista in the following year. You basically put him in a Royal Rumble and had him win a Royal Rumble where everybody wanted once again to see Daniel Bryan. And you made him win the worst possible Royal Rumble he could ever win. I know. After after basically having him on the cusp of what you probably wanted him to be the year before. I mean, the way that they screwed this whole Roman Reigns thing up over the next 12 months is is scary and you think they would have learned because of what happened to batista but as we know i don't really know how much vince learns his lessons from these kinds of things if i may jump in please how much different is history if it's reigns turning on the other two-thirds of the shield instead of rollins oh reigns is reigns is the biggest star in the company from that point on mm-hmm. and uh, look and I it helped Rollins. It would have been better for Rollins too. He was a more well, natural babyface. He's well, healing. I, he's whiny, but the way he wrestles and he just—he's never given a been given a good babyface story. He turned on his friends. He didn't. The the authority then turned on him. He's never done anything redeeming. I mean, he did go against Brock a couple of times, and that was fine. But that almost doesn't count. Because, I know. Yeah. It, I mean. Was Brock really a bad guy? He was just sort of a big dude who came in, beat people up, and left. He didn't really have a standard face-heel alignment. He was just sort of there, which is a weird thing to say about the guy you're putting the title on and then sending him away for 300 days out of the year. But Mm -hmm. I really do think, first of all, I think they broke the shield up too early. I think you could have gotten another significant length of time out of those three. And I think they turned the wrong guy, especially given how we're seeing what Roman Reigns can do as a heel seven years later. My goodness, if they turn Roman Reigns heel, first of all, you get the image of Ambrose and Rollins as even though they're not small guys, the little guys going up against the big heavy and the muscle of their former unit, that in and of itself is a fun image. You get Roman Reigns being now the muscle of the authority and the guy that does the handiwork. And then if you want to build tension with Roman Reigns and Triple H, you can do that because then you have that storyline built in and it doesn't seem so freaking forced. Yeah. 
And you make a great point. I mean, just from a look standpoint, you know, Roman looked like the heel of the three. He carried that look. He had that yeah. big guy heelish look. But, of course, Vince had it in his mind that this is going to be the face of my company. He's the guy that I want to be taking pictures with the little kids and signing the autographs. I can't make him a big, bad heel if I'm going to do that. Which and that's probably so what it came down funny to. Because yeah. if he thinks about, like, sure, that didn't work with, Ho- like, sure, he didn't he didn't have to do that with Hogan or Cena. But he did it with Austin and The Rock. Yep. Both. Like those he, guys were both heels and they were he both. He did it with he did it with Brett. He, he did, did it with, with Sean. He did it with all of those guys to go babyface and heel and back and forth. And they were completely fine whenever they had to sell shirts again or take pictures again whenever they turned back. I know Brett didn't want to initially, but it worked fine. It just it's so it's also, it's also a different time. I yeah. mean, no, it's true. You know, it's true. You know, those, those times while you know, when when Brett did his whole thing was right around the time that we were starting to get the curtain peeled back, you know, from you know 96, yeah. 97. You know, there were still people out there that thought some of this stuff was real, you know, and 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 the whole good guy, bad guy thing was still, you know, a part of wrestling. When Roman was doing this in 2014, everybody accepted it for what it was, and that was just strictly entertainment. So it's a totally different era. But they look, if you just I mean, think about it. Like, like you guys said, if you just take the path of Roman and you take the path of Rollins and literally just flip-flop them, and you make Rollins the guy who was always chasing Lesnar and never getting over the top, and maybe Reigns is the guy that cashes in at WrestleMania 31. I mean, you know, as, as the heel, it just feels like things would have been so much better all around. But say la vie. Reigns could have had the same. He could have been the authority guy. He could have had the same turn like a Batista turn on Triple H, you know. And they just never even gave. It was funny because they did both of them in the wrong way from here yep. on out for a yep. while. And yep. now, like Seth, because I talk about it, he feels like in 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 kayfabe and storytelling and the way they've presented their product for the last seven years right since this show or so like there's no there's very few people who have been even close to presented the way that roman is where you could legitimately feel like okay they that could be someone who could go beat roman and seth was someone who had been kind of treated that way and presented that way he's always been in pretty good programs and pretty high level stuff and it's just they've they've made him so hateable so hateable, you know, just like, and actually, I think he's doing some pretty good work right now. He's kind of like a funny-ish, like, heel. Uh, but, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll get into the Royal Rumble 2014 that had a just a four-match card, really a five-match card if you count the, uh, the kickoff match where we had the New Age Outlaws actually beat Cody Rhodes and Goldust for the tag team championship. Gotta put those young guys, Road Dog and Billy Gunn, over. Right, fourteen years after they had been the, the the tag team champs the last time, um. So that was your pre-show match, and we get into the Royal Rumble 2014 video package focusing on Orton and Cena, and talking about how it might be the biggest rematch in WWE history. No, 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 and, no, uh, no, no. And by the way, this is the thing that gets me because John Cena is an all-time great. Randy Orton is an all-time great. The problem is, whenever they've tried to do Cena Orton, they've tried to present it 
like it's Austin going against The Rock. And it's not, and it's not even close. No. And you can understand why to them they feel like these are our guys, but they just, it feels so forced. Uh, the, they, if they just let it breathe a little bit and just let these guys go out there, um, they'd always give you a fine match. Like their match on this show, I thought it was probably like a two and a half star match, you know? Maybe maybe you could get to three if you like these guys, but the crowd obviously if you if you just turned if you had it on mute, it wasn't awful. But it's the crowd that's just not into it and they're bored with it. And we've seen it so many times at this point. And it's just it's when you go when you have a match where the crowd doesn't really have one um one option that they like, you're in some trouble. And that's why they don't do heel heel matches a lot. Because the crowd's got to be able to at least get behind someone, even if you know they're not going to win. There's at least a hope spot or two somewhere for the crowd to get behind or to boo someone. They just didn't want to didn't want to see either Orton or Cena in this main well, event picture. Plus, Andrew Andrew has more moves in the ring than John Cena does. Yeah, especially like he'll try to get creative sometimes and and do some things, but it always sort of looks like he's kind of being robotic. You know, when he adds something new to his repertoire, and I don't. I don't really dislike Cena in the ring. I think he always does a pretty good job in some of the bigger matches, and he, he he and he's fine. But no, you're right. He's not like he's he's definitely not reinventing the wheel in any way, shape, or form. And then Randy's all, also been like Randy is someone who is gonna always get better with the better the dance partner that he has. Yep. If he has an average dance partner, he'll have an average match. And and it's not even that he doesn't care or he's not into it. He's just he's very much a heel that's got to work off of someone else. And so, yeah, this show was just a. It's funny. It's 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 a lot to talk about, but it's just it wasn't great at, at all. And leading to a really good mania later on. But we started off the show with perhaps Bray Wyatt's best match. It and is, and it's not close. I, I was kind of looking this up to see if some other what other some other people thought. Um. As far as well, you, single, think, you don't think the Wyatt Orton championship match at WrestleMania with the bugs was better? With the bugs that pop up? <laughs> House of Horrors was a five-star classic. Oh, wait. wait, wait. <laughs> There's a minus in front of those five stars. Carry on. Carry on. And what, what's a bummer is that, you know, like the early version of Bray Wyatt, this version with the Wyatt family, he was actually able to, as a character, have better matches. And then in like the reincarnations of the character, they weren't really part of the story for him to go out there and have a four or five star match. He's the fiend. He's these weird uh, creatures that don't die. Um, And then he's kind of reinvented again as the fiend. And so it's a bummer to see here how good he really could be. And And I think looking through some of the other matches that were highly regarded, there was another one or two with Daniel Bryan that he actually had, I think, as the fiend. That people still thought pretty highly of But I, this is the one that always stuck out to me As his as his best match um, He was really aggressive Throughout this match Just very intense and a very quick pace He didn't have that kind of slow Meandering pace which it's fine It tells the story it, it's ring psychology When he's playing the heel This match was like okay I'm with Daniel Bryan In the ring I'm going to show you guys That I got a little something too we get the big cheer for D. Bry as he makes his way out. Uh, it's Cole, Jerry Lawler, and JBL. And then Bray Wyatt uh, makes his appearance, and uh, he comes down to the ring. We 
see a clip from uh, when D. Bry attacked Wyatt and the steel cage stuff and everything that's happened, a little bit of what's happened with them uh, a few weeks back. So it's Daniel Bryan versus Bray Wyatt and uh, Luke Harper and Eric Rowan there are uh, are with him. It, good, just quick start, and we get you know Wyatt. Intense start Brian back and forth at him We get a cross body A couple cross bodies Then some hard chops to the chest Um, He did uh, Bray Wyatt did the like the Mick Foley Stair bump outside where he kind of hits it And goes flopping over Um, It looked really good Um, Brian's working on his leg drop kicks to the leg He's working on the knee And then they're on the apron And and, um like an arm, like he wraps his arm back, and Daniel Bryan's shoulder and D. Bry go crashing down to the mat. It was a good looking fall, um, and so Daniel Bryan's on the floor at this point. Um, then Bray Wyatt starts working on Daniel Bryan's head, and they talk about a concussion that D. Bry had before, already leading up to him and all of the stuff that he would have down the line. So that's scary to even have. Just having him heard that was like, oh my gosh. Yeah, think about that. I forgot. Like it was already, you know, they'd already started here. And um Wyatt playing to the crowd real nicely. Um and just everything he's doing with really good purpose too. D Bry gets a comeback here, running clothesline, then uh, a little ultimate warrior for you, uh D uh for you, Darren here, shaking the ropes. Um yep. drop turn by, uh turn uh drop toe hold into the turnbuckle from D Bry, Hurricane Rana and Wyatt uh Bray hit the uh, the flying back elbow. Um, then he goes to the ropes, but he misses that spot. So he lands on the floor. D. Bry with the tornado DDT that looked really cool. I think he he busted open uh, Bray's mouth a little bit. Get a drop kick by Br- uh, D. Bry. Um, then another missile drop kick. Crowd really getting pumped up for Daniel Bryan. Roundhouse. A couple more running drop kicks in the corner, and he went for the third one, but he got nailed with the clothesline. By Bray Wyatt He went spinning up and over uh, Two count Really good spot Bray went for Sister Abigail But uh, D. Bray countered that thing He goes for the yes lock But Bray counters Now they're battling up on the top rope um, Daniel Bryan knocks him off And he hits a splash um, He goes for the flying dive outside the ring But Bray catches him And he Sister Abigail's his head Into the barricade this spot was nasty, and uh, the crowd's just really into the match. They, they, uh, big Daniel Bryan fans, but they actually chanted, "This is awesome for that spot." And then uh, he back in the ring, another sister Abigail covers for the win. Twenty-two minutes ish here. I thought this thing was four and a half stars. Um, I think it's at least four, depending on what you want at the floor, and and you know everyone's got a little bit of a different uh, idea, but. The way they set this thing up, Andrew, it just felt so much like Daniel Bryan's going to come back at the end of the night and win the Royal Rumble. You put him in a bad spot. You figured there would be the, oh, we don't know if he's going to come. He's got the neck injury. And, oh, there was that 26. That was supposed to be Daniel Bryan there. But, um, they, you know, this was just a match. And it's a little unfortunate because, obviously, everybody pays so much attention to what happened later. But... In just a vacuum as this match being You know an opener on a Pay-per-view and a good match And probably Bray's best It is a very Very good way to start a show That has a hot crowd whether you like it Or not what they're saying Yep Brian comes out And gets the biggest pop of the night On his entrance 
This is called foreshadowing, kids, because that crowd did not shut up about Daniel Bryan until the show was over. Now, I took notes on this match. I respect the heck out of Bray Wyatt and his mind for the business and what he's been able to do to reinvent himself and stay relevant. I think the character work he's done has been fantastic. In the ring, I just don't think he's all that much. 90% of my notes start out with the word Brian as opposed to Bray because Daniel Bryan did everything he possibly could to carry this match. And I wouldn't be at all surprised if some of that edge was a result of, oh, so this is how you're going to book me? Okay, here we go. Bray, put your working boots on. And by the way, Bray's snakeskin boots, nice touch. I really like those. I thought those were pretty stylish. Now, Brian got so much offense in on this match that he was not hurt at all whatsoever with the result, even though it was a pin clean as a sheet. I thought the booking of this match was fantastic. Brian does a couple of really cool things. He gets a couple big dives in. He turns a surfboard into like a curb stop kind of thing. And I thought that was a really great spot. Gino, you mentioned the bump he took off of the Lariat. I think I saw that actually in the men's skateboarding final uh, a couple of days ago. Somebody <laughs> tried to do that and, and, and did so to about the same rate of success, actually. But um, you mentioned the concussions. And there are a couple of matches Daniel Bryan has from this time period until mid-2015 when it becomes clear he's not going to wrestle again, at least for the foreseeable future. They do the dueling headbutt spot. And it's just so tough to watch, knowing how much that contributed to what sidelined him from what should have been the peak of his career. I'm happy he was able to come back. I'm happy he's been able to have four and a half to five star matches with a bunch of different guys. I'm happy that he's going to turn up somewhere where we're not entirely sure, but we'll see. I have this as a four-star match. I think you're absolutely right, Gino, and that that is the floor. If you want to go higher than that, so be it. I thought this was an exceptional match, an exceptional carry job by Daniel Bryan, and you can hear in the crowd how deflated they are by the result because they were dead quiet as Bray Wyatt's hand was raised. And in an era now, even seven years later, where it doesn't seem like wins and losses matter, it sure seemed like that one did. Yeah, it's it's a good point. Um, let me ask this: Is there a better opening match in the history of the Royal Rumble than this? Man, I'd have to go back. I don't think um, so. No, I don't. Like for me, the the other ones that come to mind, Edge and Shawn Michaels in 05 was good. Um, the Ambrose Kevin Owens from a few years ago was good. Uh, a couple of years ago, the Oscar-Becky Lynch match was an opening match that was actually very good. Uh, and then there was that Jeff Jarrett-Razor-Ramon match in 95. I just went through all of them and kind of ranked them. And that those were my – but I don't think any of them were better than this. Um, uh, was the uh, Brett Owen-Quebecers match an opener? Yeah, I think. Uh, uh, no. That, the, that was, what, 94? Yeah. No, that was the second match. The, the second first match, match there was Tatanka yeah. and Bam Bam. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, so yeah, yeah, this I, is. I, I thought you could have made the, the argument that this might have been the best opening match in the history of the Royal Rumble. Um, yeah, you know, it's obviously the crowd is extremely disappointed, and it kind of 
puts a bit of a cloud over this pay-per-view from the beginning because you're getting concerned about what transpired and you know obviously the bump that he took and the way the match ended and are they setting you up for disappointment is he not even going to be in the royal rumble match which of course you know that uh concern came to hand and we'll talk about that later uh look it, it's it's a great match the tornado ddt spot was tremendous um that that tornado you know the, the one off the off the apron uh was just ridiculous um the, the stuff on the outside, the drop kicks against the barricades, uh, the corner drop kicks were really cool as well. I thought they told the great story. Uh, Wyatt, you know, blocking and, and biting Daniel Bryan's hand, going for the yes lock. You know, I mean, for what Bron for what Wyatt can't do uh, from a physical standpoint in the ring, he definitely makes up with his storytelling. And I think that was uh, really on display here and, and really made the match uh, you know, and telling the story aspect of it, what it was. I thought you had one guy telling the story, the other guy carrying the work from a physical standpoint. But yeah, I mean, this whole pay-per-view leaves a bad taste in your mouth and it starts with the result of this opening match. And, and you know, you, you wonder if, you know, at Gorilla, based on just the dead silence of the crowd after the match, watching this match, knowing how good it was, and then just you could hear a pin drop you have to wonder if any of the guys in the back and gorilla were going, uh oh, you know, what what did we do here? But, you know, and maybe, maybe that this is the first thing that leads you on the path to what we end up with at WrestleMania. But yeah, for me, uh four I, I had it at four and a quarter stars. And like I said, I, I thought it was probably the best opener in the history of the pay-per-view. Really, really good way to start this Royal Rumble. And then it was just downhill from here, unfortunately. <laughs> Um, you know, you get a great start, you get a hot, and like this is just this is something they've done in in with Bret Hart, and they've done in in previous rumbles where so, there's someone that's got a match earlier on the card, they lose or they get hurt, and they they come in the rumble and they have a good run, and they're selling the injury, and so you always kind of feel like that's going to happen, especially when it's someone that like opens the show, but they didn't make any mention of either of these guys being in the Royal Rumble at all. Even when you throw out the match, they don't mention it whatsoever. They never do. We all just sort of assumed. Everybody just assumed. And what do they say when you assume? You know, you you make an ass out of a you get Mysterio. Poor poor freaking Ray Mysterio. Yeah, really quick. There are four people in this show that I felt awful for. Mysterio <laughs> is one of them because he got booed out of the building for doing his job. Yep. I know it's just Okay well we get into uh, Backstage uh, Renee Young With uh, Paul Heyman And he cuts up just a quick little Dawning of a new era WWE Universe is going to be conquered By Brock the Unmerciful And uh, we see Ben Roethlisberger In the front row And uh, we get a look at the panel It was Ric Flair Hacksaw and Shawn Michaels On the pre-show panel they talked about Daniel Bryan a little bit here. Um, Shawn Michaels obviously gave him a lot of praise. And, uh, and then we get Big Show coming out. It's going to be Big Show versus Brock Lesnar up next. And uh, uh, Lesnar comes out after Big Show. He's with Paul Heyman before the match starts. Lesnar attacks Big Show for the bell. Uh, he takes a chair and just nails Big Show in the back with a bunch of uh, chair shots. Uh, keeps telling the ref to ring the bell. Kyoto doesn't want to. He kind of 
Stands up a little bit to Brock uh, Tells him to back off a little bit Nope, Lesnar just goes crazy uh, Hit and show a few more times Kyoto takes the chair Then rings the bell As soon as it rings Big Show actually nails Lesnar with a KO punch So a cool little spot right off the bat Didn't think Big Show was going to win this match But he was actually in control for a little bit early on Couple punches to the ribs He went for another knockout punch But Brock avoided it He picks up Big Show and he hits the F5 Covers him for the win This thing went The match itself went Two two minutes Um, uh, After the match He, Lesnar Meaning he pronouns pal Lesnar uh, just goes Ballistic on On uh, Big Show He's still kind of a little out of it Like the like the punch kind of got to him But he chair shots All over Hitting it all over his legs Show it to the legs to the back He broke a couple of the chairs He goes and gets another one Ref trying to stop him Gets another chair from under the ring And, and he leaves So the big question that I have for you, Andrew and uh, and Darren. I mean, Andrew, what the what was the over under in chair shots here? Um, a oh, lot, honestly. and whatever whatever <laughs> it was, bet the over. Um, forty, so thirty. Yeah, it was. Uh, it, it it was high, and I got to tell you, Lesnar did not hold back. No, uh, these were some of the stiffer chair shots you'll see. Since the rock mankind last man standing thing where mankind took all those unprotected shots and it was just horrible. And if you haven't seen beyond the mat, it's in there. That's something you really only need to see more than once or only once rather to get the point. Um, My big problem with this, though, it actually wasn't the chair shots. It wasn't anything like that, because, look, the point of this was to get Brock ready for the Undertaker at WrestleMania. Mission accomplished. In that regard, you check the box. With the pre-match video, the entrances, everything before the match, the match itself, and then the post-match beatdown, that all took, I don't know the exact time, but it's way too long. You're telling me they couldn't have done what they did here in half the time and moved on? It just dragged and dragged and dragged for absolutely no reason, and it left a sour taste in my mouth. Did it accomplish the objective? Yeah, sure, but you're telling me there was no way to do it in a quicker fashion when you've got uh, so much stuff on this show that should not have been on this show. We're going to go to the panel a couple more times throughout the show. This is stuff WWE has gotten better at over time as far as relegating that to pre-shows and leaving the pay-per-views just for actual wrestling and minimal stuff with talking heads. They've gotten far better at that since the advent of the network. Kudos to them for that, because with the exception of Shawn Michaels saying that he got outdressed by Hacksaw Jim Duggan, those panels offered absolutely nothing of note. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to have too much to add. (laughs) Um, I mean, like you said, there's just not that much to talk about the, uh, you know, catching him with the KO punch gets a little bit of reaction, although it's kind of weird because it makes Brock look a little bit weak in that moment and it's kind of countered. It's big what... show hitting with a big punch, though. If you were hit by yeah. a seven foot, 400 pound guy, you'd go down too. I mean, if I get hit by a lot of guys, I'd go down pretty quick. But... <laughs> well, you uh... don't have to tell anybody you have a glass jaw. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's just I I know what they're trying to do here. It's a it's a mini squash. It makes it makes uh you know Lesnar look look ruthless and everything. Obviously, you know him getting big show up for an F five is a bit of a wow moment or whatever. But it's just kind of weird, you know. It's it's just a weird setting, uh, you know. The after the chair shots and everything. I mean, at one point it was like, all right, enough already, you know. But yeah, it's uh, it's it's this is where, like Gino said, things start to really take a rather downhill turn. And I wish I had anything creative to say about this, but they really doesn't don't give you a whole hell of a lot. It, everything went about fifteen minutes. The match went about two, but um, we. Then cut to the Shield. They cut a promo about the Rumble. Um, Rollins first, then Reigns says he's feeling good. Ambrose wants his number, um, and uh, they never say what their numbers are. Rollins is in the middle, said it doesn't matter. Uh, the, ma- the one that matters most is three in the three members of the Shield. So Dean Ambrose though had a good line in here because he and Roman try to bait each other into giving up the numbers, and Dean goes. I'm not going to tell you my number. I got all the numbers. You can tell <laughs> even then that if the shield had a guy who was aces on the mic, it was that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, a little, little tension between them heading into the, uh, heading into the rumble. We then get an interview with uh, Randy Orton and Renee young backstage. He says that he's going to beat Cena and Cena's going to head to the back of the line. He mentions, uh, all the different challengers. He calls Bray Wyatt Duck Dynasty reject. He mentions Lesnar, Punk, Batista, Daniel Bryan, and he's going to show that John Cena isn't the face of WWE. It was pretty good. It was solid promo from Orton. Um, you can tell that the writers did not write the Duck Dynasty line. You can right? tell that that was an Orton original. Yeah, yeah. He appreciated it. Uh, and uh, yeah, we get. Video package for Cena Orton As this one is coming up next The WWE World Heavyweight Championship match First it is Orton um, Which is you know, always a little weird when the champ en- enters first And then Cena um, And The crowd just immediately Chanting for Daniel Bryan When the bell rings uh, Then they get the let's go Cena Cena sucks chance It's just a slow pace to start for both of these guys Chin lock Cena goes for a Boston Crab. Orton kicks him away. Suplex. Uh, the crowd just was not into it. You get Y2J chance. Randy Savage. Boring. Um, clothesline. Cena goes. Uh, Orton goes to the top. Uh, Orton goes to the floor. Um, and then um, outside, Cena goes shoulder first into the steps. That's that uh, spot that he always does. More Daniel Bryan chance. We get a DDT from Orton. Um, it was funny because Cole would say. In very WWE way They would say wow this crowd is crazy Or you never know what you're gonna hear He would say the word electric when the crowd was just Booing the hell out of this match Or like chanting for Daniel Bryan It was like oh electric oh electric And we get the Shoulder blocks from Cena Spinning slam Orton comes back he hits his great Power slam Um, Cena hits that full Nelson little neck Breaker Um, Cena off the top rope he hits the leg drop to the back Of Orton for two DDT by Orton with the uh, the the legs hanging off the rope, and uh, we get a two count here. Back and forth counters. STF. Orton makes it to the ropes. Um, then the uh, the ref gets knocked down, and Cena puts Orton in the STF. He taps out, and the doctor checks on the ref. Um, Orton ends up 
Hitting Cena in the head with the WWE title Ref comes to life He counts for the one, for the two Cena kicks out Crowd really not liking this match at all um, <laughs> I think do, do we get a this is awful At we one got point a, You both suck yeah, <laughs> I was trying to write down a lot of these chants that were funny. We um, got a you both suck. I think we got, and this is not me saying this. If there's any children out there, I do not advocate saying this, but I believe we got a little bitch chant at some point. <laughs> um, and uh, so they're both kind of going back and forth, kicking out of each other's finishers, Orton RKO, um, and then at an AA that Orton kicks out of. Um, Orton goes for a punt. Cena moves. Um, then Orton a full sequence of moves. Yeah, yeah. This was the best part of the match when they're going yeah. back and forth. Orton goes for the STF on Cena. Couldn't lock it in. Sort of uh, the Rock locking in your uh, sharpshooter. You know here. Um, and Cena goes for the crossface submission. And then Orton puts Cena on the shoulders. He hits an AA for two. Cena gets back up. He hits an RKO and. Uh, Cena goes up to the top rope He's trying to do the attitude adjustment off the top And Orton's battling out of it He hits a tornado DDT Then he go, he uh, locks in the STF He's got it locked in Looks like he's about to win And the Wyatt family music starts Lights go out And uh, they come back on The Wyatt family members are in the ring um, And Orton hits an RKO He covers for the win 20 plus minutes I think in this one also But just Again, it wasn't bad It wasn't bad, or a bad wrestling A bad wrestling match It wasn't a bad wrestling match in any way, shape, or form turn is WCW wrestling (laughs) When you hear it with the crowd Though, and they're not into it And knowing that we've seen these two guys Through the years so many different times We just saw them a couple more times Everybody was bored with them We could hear who they wanted, Daniel Bryan And some others So, it's Definitely, uh, it's it's interesting how, and I, I'm kind of curious how both of you guys have like take this match because it just, yeah, I, I I'm watching it going, yeah, it was fine, it's not bad, it was just not, we just we we're just sick of it, and the crowd was not a fan of this one, Andrew. So I'm actually going to defend the slow start because wrestlers are taught that if a crowd is, for lack of a better term, being assholes. During the start of a match, you're taught to grab rest holds and basically tire them out. Wait for it to get out of their system. That's what Orton and Cena tried to do here. The problem is the crowd didn't get tired. This was the crowd on some of the Jorge Navarro Jason Service juice. Did not get tired. Okay? There's your horse <laughs> racing tie-in for the old wrestling re-break. rewatch. Yep. Indeed. So when that happened... You could tell they both sort of looked at each other and said, "Eh, okay, let's just work. And when they did, I actually thought it was an okay match. If you watch the match on mute, it's good. It's not great. It's not a match of the year kind of thing. I had it at three and a quarter, and I thought the sequence the last five minutes before the Wyatt showed up pushed it over that three-star mark that you guys were talking about earlier. Orton and Cena are the second and third guys that I feel really, really bad for. Because if you're Orton and Cena, you're being booked to be put in this position. You know the crowd isn't booing your abilities as a worker. You know the crowd isn't booing the things that you're necessarily doing in the ring. The problem is 
you're not the person they want to see in those spots. And that's not your fault. I feel bad for those two guys because they did every single thing they could to try to put on a good match. And it's not like they mailed it in. If you want to see two guys mailing it in on a big stage in front of a crowd that wants no part of it, go watch WrestleMania 20 and go watch Goldberg Brock Lesnar to see Mm -hmm. what this match could have turned into. Instead, if you watch it on mute, you get a good match between two guys that can go. Problem is, the crowd wanted nothing to do with it. It was the wrong match at the wrong time for WWE's product, and it seemed like everybody knew it except the guy calling the shots. It's an unfortunate situation, and it's a fascinating match to go back and rewatch. Yeah, I was going to say, if you put this match in a vacuum and you take out everything else and all the extra curricular nonsense going on surrounding the match, it's not a bad match. It's just the wrong match at the wrong place at the wrong time. And the crowd certainly makes it a point for for the 20-some-odd minutes of the match to let you know that. Um, You know, like I said, that cool sequence near the end was good. You know, the RKO is always a good spot. Um, But, you know, you're taking two guys that at this point the crowd is tired of seeing in big spots. They're begging for something new. And even though they don't get a bad match, this match could have been an all-time classic. The crowd was not going to give Vince the satisfaction of cheering for this match. Uh, and, and that speaks to the point of what Andrew is saying and that, you know, he feel he does feel bad for, for both of them because they certainly didn't mail it in. They did everything they possibly could. Uh, they gave you a good effort. But like we said, this match was not getting over no matter what. Uh, no. It does it does lead to uh, a good moment at WrestleMania with Orton Batista and and Daniel Bryan and eventually the crowd getting what they want. But you know, in this moment at this time, uh, it's just it's just the, the the wrong match at the wrong place at the wrong time. And unfortunately, it's going to lead into a Royal Rumble that just kind of adds to the frustration. So we get the little post match where. Harper and Rowan and uh, are destroying Cena, clothesline, Sister Abigail by Bray Wyatt. Crowd's loving it. They're actually chanting yes for this. And we know uh, this will end up leading to, uh, you know, these two down the line. So it sets up a new feud. And this was a good, this was a very good night for Bray Wyatt, right? He's got a good match. Then he comes out here and he's involved and he's kind of elevated. It's a big win for him over Daniel Bryan. And um, I, did we get a a look that they said the network arrives in 29 days? Mm. The WW, WWE network. So uh, if only about that. around. If oh, I know, right? I missed the old network very, the old very network. much. It was really good. Really good. Shout out there. As the New Age Outlaws cut a promo backstage with Renee Young. Um, we see them earlier on the pre-show winning the uh, winning the tag team titles and Road Dog talks about how it was 14 years ago when they uh, last had their uh, title reign. So he says that was a that's an all time record. And he says to Renee, or he says, tell Renee the two words. And he says, new champs, new champs, which I thought was a little fun. I was like, oh, they're not going to tell Renee to suck it, are they? Yeah. So mm-hmm. um, that was at least kind of kind of funny. As we got a couple Rumble promos, uh, Miz, The Usos, Biggie, Fandango, uh, Batista, Sandow, Ryback, Mysterio, 
And then the the panel gave us their picks one more time. Uh, Hacksaw, I think he picked Ziggler. Sean went with uh, Punk and and the Shield. <laughs> Punk and the Shield. And then Flair picked Batista. Um, we get the intro for the Rumble as Justin Roberts gets us all set up with the rules. And we knew already that CM Punk was going to be the number one entrant in the Royal Rumble. So here he is, CM Punk out. For the final time, this was the last time we've seen him in a WWE ring. And I was kind of paying attention a lot to this when he came out. And you know what? He didn't have that like look on his face. Still was doing a pretty good job, I thought, um, when he came out. But he did not. Either him or Rollins, I thought. It's just one of those situations where they're one and two. And I don't. it didn't feel like either one of them did a whole hell of a lot. In 48 and 49 minutes, they each eliminated a couple people, and they did some fine work throughout, but Punk was obviously really banged up, and you saw him, he was just on the ground a lot, and there were, you just, I don't remember a lot of this match where he was doing stuff. Um, Now, I do like that you start, we've always talked about the way that Royal Rumbles are laid out. When you start with someone like Punk, it's going to at least keep interest for a while, because we all feel like Punk is a legitimate threat to win this thing At this point He's probably not But when you look at who's in this field He's in the you top You wouldn't three. be shocked He's three to five You know, he's top three to top five Of who you probably think has a shot here So, starting with him well, Especially least, in this Rumble Because there's just not a lot of guys that No fit that The Shield there. wasn't quite ready You know You, you, you got a Sheamus in the middle That you thought maybe But he wouldn't really Ziggler fit Ziggler got a pop Ryback wasn't was cold. He wasn't quite where he had been a year, year and a half earlier. And you, you look up and down, and with no Daniel Bryan in here, and not even someone like Bray Wyatt who would have, you know, given you the feel that he could have been a threat with other members of the Wyatt family. This wasn't much. No Brock. Um, so Punk in there early, feeling like someone who could win it. Rollins is two. Um, Sandow is three, and. We get uh, Sandow only lasts about a couple minutes. He, um, I think he he gets thrown out right after number four because he interacts with Cody a little bit. Um, Cody hits crossroads on on Sandow. They used to be a team together, and then Punk uh, gives uh, Sandow back body drop over the top. He eliminates him. So Sandow is only in there for a couple minutes. Then it's number five, Kane. So Cody was number four, and Kane is now number five. Remember, this is a uh, corporate Kane. So he's got the uh, the dress pants on, and he he is you know supposed to take Punk out. He goes right after him, and so we're one through five here. Um, Andrew uh, up to Kane when he's in the mix. He doesn't even does he even last to the point when Rusev comes out? I think he lasts. Yeah, like right before. Rusev even comes out next So before Rusev is number 6 We're 1 through 5 We've already got 2 eliminated here though And we've got 2 of our Iron Men in Punk and Rollins Who are going to be around uh, with us for a while Yeah um, This is a strange Strange way to book a Royal Rumble And Honestly If you hit mute And you watch the Rumble Is it a terrible Rumble? No It's not The problem lies in they had a lot of guys that were at mid-card level for one reason or another. Some, like the Shield, were on their way up. Others were on their way down. 
you also had a bunch of people who had sort of hit the glass ceiling and were never going to go through it. So Punk coming out at number one did lead to at least a little bit of enthusiasm to start out. But you get Rollins at two. Okay, that makes sense. At least there's another good worker in there. Sandow comes out at three. He's nowhere near as over as he was uh, a while back. Uh, Cody comes out at four. He had just lost the tag titles to two old guys on the pre-show. And then you have corporate Kane coming out. And it's not like Kane was working all that much at this time because he was starting to get older and wasn't working as many matches or as many dates, what have you. It, it, It was a weird way to start the Rumble because you look at the entry list from Punk at one to, depending on how you felt about Dolph Ziggler at the time at 12, nobody comes out that has anywhere close to a chance to actually win the thing. And that, I think, is more an indictment of how WWE had booked their talent than the match itself. And you can see this in the pre-match promos that they did leading into the match, which I love. I love that they did this because it's a nice, easy way to get people involved, give people a vested interest, refresh people's memories on certain storylines and what was going on. You look at those promos and you're saying, I'm supposed to take the Usos seriously. I'm supposed to take Fandango seriously. And then Batista shows up and he just jumps off the screen. He's on another level from the rest of these guys. And you know, okay, unless Daniel Bryan is in this match, Batista's winning. And that, I think, was a big, big problem and held this rumble back pretty significantly, despite the fact that the people that worked the match did a darn good job. Yeah, it kind of has that classic, the first two guys in last a long time. We've seen that on several occasions, you know, you you have a couple of guys started off that you know that you have some trust in and, and can work for a long time. You know, the punk thing, as you said, this is the last time we ever see him, which is weird. Um, you know, Vince's story is that he just kind of walked out on the company. Punk says, yeah, but I needed a break, but then I was suspended. And after the suspension was up, nobody got in touch with me. And, that, and then I was fired on my wedding day. It, it's a very weird story how it all goes on. Uh, So watching him in this spot is kind of strange to watch back. But, yeah, I mean, you get Punk and Rollins, so you get the two good workers. Sandow, obviously, at this point is not any kind of a threat. Uh, Cody Rhodes is going to be in there to do some work for a while. Kane is going to be in there for all of a minute. Um, So, yeah, I I understand what Andrew's saying, that it's kind of the the rumble itself is booked kind of weird. But it's a rumble of a lot of filler. It's a rumble with, with, you know, I I, had 30 guys. I forgot how few throughout this rumble actually felt like threats. Yeah. I mean, even even if you believe that somebody from the shield had a chance to win, you know, even or even a if, Mysterio or yeah, um like, Yeah, I mean something that's sort of like Del Rio's been a previous but like anyone that would have been hot in a different year, Ryback, they were not warm leading into this. The Miz, Sheamus, no. those were not guys that were being built all that well heading well, into this. Well, in fairness with Sheamus, Sheamus had gotten hurt and he yes, made yes, his yes, big yes. return in this and match. And he got a good he, pop. He got a good pop. Yeah, he got a pop initially when it came out. The pro- yeah. problem was they booked him until the final four. And we'll talk about this 
when he did his taunt where he's pounding his chest, the crowd, instead of chanting brogue, was chanting no because this big Irish guy wasn't Daniel Bryan. Yeah. Yeah, so, I I totally agree. Uh, it, it's just – it is a very, very oddly booked match. And, and you know, looking through it and, and watching it back when guys are coming out, all right, he's got no shot, he's got no shot, he's got no shot. It, it's probably one of the more predictable rumbles that, that we've seen. Um, is it terribly – you know, worked. No, but it just doesn't have for me. It, it's missing something. It's missing the element of surprise. It's missing the element of, all right, we got the these six guys in the ring and five of them are legit contenders. You never get that at any point of this match. Now, now as we get to number six, Rusev comes out and uh, he was still in NXT uh, as named Alexander. He Rusev. looks good here. He, the Bulgarian brute, and uh, he does. He's got the longer hair, um, but he's in good shape. He's not like overly thick yet. He's still he's, well, he's pretty he lean. Gets his moves in is what I mean. Like guys, yeah, no, no, he looks so good. Yeah, yeah, he he. You could tell they liked him uh, early on, and uh, number he hits a nice fallaway slam on uh, on Punk. Uh, Swagger is number seven. Jack Swagger uh, with Zeb Coulter. He hits the Swagger bomb. On Rollins and on uh, on Cody, Rusev and him have a little exchange. They go at it for a bit, and then Kofi comes in, um, and Kofi goes after Punk. They had a um, a rivalry. They were buddies too outside of the ring, and not just not a lot going on in, during this stretch here. Um, as you know, nobody there's no real eliminations. We're up to number nine. Jimmy Uso comes in, so you don't you know he's not a threat. Goldust comes in He's not really a threat So we've only had We're up to 10 now We've got 8 guys in the ring And only 2 have been eliminated so far um, I mean Andrew not not like literally Almost nothing happening in this stretch Yeah my note after Goldust Is in all caps So many mid-carders Because I had forgotten how many people Were just in mid-card hell at this point now, I'm going to cheat a little bit, and I'm going to jump ahead about 30 to 45 seconds. So, Rusev gets tossed, whatever. However, this elimination, which I believe is only the second one of the match, or the third, not entirely sure. Third. It's so, it is solely to set up Kofi's spot from the barricade. Now, Kofi's spot jumping back in from the barricade is a great spot. This is what Kofi does. It's always fun. It's always entertaining and more power to him. But I'm going to pose a little bit of a strategy question to you guys. If he hasn't been eliminated from the match, why doesn't he just stay there? <laughs> just, just chill. Well, yeah, I guess, let I everybody guess, else do the work. Well, I guess technically then, somebody could go underneath the bottom rope, walk out there, and knock him off, knock him off the thing, but, and he would be out. But that or would be you a could just, funny. You, yeah, you could bank on someone doing the Mill Moscarus where they jump over the top rope to get him. That is great. Yeah. I know job. I know job. He just he wants to eliminate himself. No, our our truth would be great doing that as a brain fart. It would be great. And you would pull it off. You also could have um, done the spot where somebody came out from the back and knocked him off the barricade onto the floor. And boom, instant feud. There you go. Yeah, yeah could have done that too. Oh gosh. So we're up to 
Now, I mean, number 11 with uh, with Ambrose coming out. So we've got a couple S.H.I.E.L.D. guys now in the ring. And um, he runs in. And Ziggler is number 12. Missile drop kick. Crowd chance. Actually, pretty good pop for Ziggler. Let's go, Ziggler. And oh. the, a lot of different em- eliminations being teased here. But, like, not, still not a whole lot happening until... Uh, number so we're up to number 13 next and it's our truth so um ambrose hits a a running drop kick on truth and he's out quickly i think truth lasted less than 30 seconds here so now we're up to 14 we get uh kevin nash um, I think before that I just though, Im- I just imagine you and Darren rolling your eyes when Kevin right? Nash's graphic when appeared on the Tron. Yeah. <laughs> before yeah. this though, we got yep. we got yep. um Uso going up to the top rope and uh, Rollins kicks him in the head and Ambrose shoved him out. Uh, so we got some shield working together there, and then Kofi took off a uh, Swagger's boot, held on by uh, using his feet along the bottom ropes. So that was cool. That was a cool spot. He hit Swagger with the boot, and that was right before Nash comes out at 14. So we got a cool surprise. Obviously, Nash isn't winning, but we're going to get a few of these throughout. And uh, the, and you know what? I don't love Nash, but the crowd popped for him. He actually looked like he was in pretty good shape here. He got the NWO music. He comes he out. He didn't and tear a quad, which is most yeah. important. He didn't hurt himself or anybody. He eliminates Swagger. Uh, Shield goes after him, and uh, they end up tossing him. So he doesn't. Last, uh, last all that long I think just a couple minutes here um, um, But he does get an elimination And uh, as we get up to number 15 So um, that'll be when Roman comes in But DZ yeah like This whole One through five okay so we set it up We got Punk and Rollins at least a couple legit We get Kane to come in He's got the stuff with Punk So there's a little stuff happening one through five uh, Six you get Rusev It's kind of a surprise But then from like seven with Swagger, Kofi, Uso, Goldust, Ambrose, okay. Ziggler gets a little pop. Our truth. We get a surprise with Nash, but just no legitimate threats all the way up to maybe we want to call Roman at 15. Yeah. I, well, if you look at it, I mean, basically the first 15 guys are CM Punk and the Shield. That's that's it. I mean, that's yeah. that's what the first 15 guys yeah. are. That, that that's That's it. And that's. You know, and clearly this rumble is going to be about strengthening the shield. They're going to be in there for a long time, you know, building up Roman and then eventually. Have- oh, are you here? It- oh, OK, there we go. Yeah. You cut out for a second, but go ahead. Go yeah. ahead. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's just it's a it's a very oddly, you know, booked rumble, Um, you know, from that standpoint, you have, you know, all three guys from the shield are going to be in there for. All of them over a half an hour. Rollins is in there for almost 15 minutes. But yeah, I mean, you're you know, you're sitting there and you're kind of looking at this ring right now, and you're like, all right, we got Punk, we got Rollins, we got Cody, we got Goldust, we got Ambrose, we got Roman. Uh, all right, I see what's happening here. Shield is gonna be in this for a while. Maybe Punk is gonna hang in there for a while. Are any of these four guys actually winning it? Probably not. So, all right, I could see where this is going. So that that's kind of like how, how this match, the feel of this match was. And um, it, like I said, for my money, that's why it was one of the more predictable Royal Rumbles. Yeah, and just to add to that, 
predictable doesn't necessarily have to be bad if it makes sense. The problem is, in this case, it made sense to one person and everyone else who followed the product sure seemed like they were the ones saying, uh, Vince, Vince, are you listening to that crowd? Mm-hmm. Are you hearing the one guy that's over that should be the face of your company? Vince, Vince. And in the meantime, Vince is going, oh, Orton and Batista at WrestleMania. It'll be great, pal. And then off to eat two steaks with ketchup or something. I don't know. But my note for number 15 is Roman comes in and outgoes everyone. We needed a yeah. ring cleaner spot there we in did. the worst possible way. We did get one, but my goodness, it just seemed like how much better would this match have been had they used Rusev at six to clear a couple of guys, maybe make him look even better than he already did. Or here's another idea. Instead of putting Rusev out there, put Big Show out there, give him a couple of eliminations just to give everybody else a little more room to breathe. It was just unnecessary. Yeah, it was so much clogged up here. Um, Roman comes out, though. He does his spears on uh, spear to Cody. Um, then he eliminates Kofi. Uh, he then eliminates uh, Ziggler with a spear. And then, oh, this is actually where he, uh, Nash got eliminated. So I said it a little earlier, but it was Reigns kind of ducked, and then he tossed out Nash. So three quick eliminations for Roman. As number 16 comes in, the great call Lee. Poor guy can barely move. He's in there for like 15 seconds. The shield just works together. Uh, Roman hits him with a Superman punch and they toss him out. So uh, Goldust eliminates Cody and then Roman eliminates Goldust real quickly. So now we're starting to get some room in here. Uh, both Rhodes brothers are out, but we get nothing about like nothing. It was, this was nothing, nothing. Like they didn't make a big deal of this spot. That was what was also unfortunate. It was like there was like anxiety about this rumble that they just kind of wanted to get through or something because there was normally you have spots and feuds started throughout. Like this would have been a great spot for give us like a, a minute or two watching these guys go at each other like a little bit more, talk a little bit more about it. They just yeah, nothing. And they never really and maybe that was a Vince thing that he was just never really into these two brothers as a as a storyline, as a one on one match, because it never really got built. Um and many times you kind of felt like it was going to, and it it could have been a fun WrestleMania match with these two at some point, but um, they're both out, and it's number seventeen, and it's Sheamus. He gets a really good pop here at seventeen. He had been out for a while; he had a shoulder injury. I think it was like five or six months. They didn't announce him, so he was a surprise. Um, Shield members and Sheamus goes after the Shield. Um, Punk's kind of just hanging in the corner. Um, like Rollins is doing a lot more than Punk too And we know now why that Punk was really banged up and hurt But you just, you kind of forget that he's in there for a lot of the time Because you just don't really see him He's kind of down on the floor And Big Brogue um, from Sheamus um, 18 is Miz Who didn't get much of a, a reaction here one way or the other um, WWE champ and just eh But Miz has, has come back around He's had, he's had a good uh, more more. Uh, Recent last couple years where he's he's kind of re uh, like tweaked a few things. The help of Maurice too also was uh, was big for him. The number nineteen spot is Fawn Dong Go, and he does a little dance with Summer Ray, and uh, he almost gets Miz out. Um, but we start getting re- it starts to really slow down here. El Torito comes in. And we get some El Torito spots that are fun um, on Rollins and then on Miz. 
Says he's the smallest Royal Rumble competitor in history. He goes at Punk. Punk kind of palms him and uh, hits a head scissors. Fandango nails Torito. Um, almost eliminates Fandango. Then a, a missile drop kick. Uh, Reigns catches him and throws him over the top onto Fandango. So now I think that's six for Roman um, here. So we're up to 21 before Cesaro comes out. But I mean, the the between Roman and this point, Andrew, we got at least some cleaning house. And and at the very least, now we can look around the ring and say, okay, the Shield, Roman, and Sheamus probably we could make a case for. Yeah, Sheamus coming out was really good. And in the early 2010s, Sheamus was legitimately over. So it yeah, made he was. sense to bring him there. The crowd got into him. And you could sense, okay, if they go with Sheamus here, it kind of makes sense. He's been at that level before. We can understand that. And it's a nice surprise given that we hadn't seen him for a while. Miz comes out at 18, and there's at least a little bit of star power there. Fandango comes out at 19, and the entire crowd sings his theme song. Of course, the do-do. And now that'll be going through everybody's head for the next three hours. You're all welcome, America, or wherever the heck you happen to be listening from. (laughs) Thank Um, you. (laughs) El Torito comes out at 20. Uh, This was, I think, the perfect length for him because he got in a couple of spots. He eliminated somebody that we all know wasn't winning, and then he got dispatched as the little person who isn't really a threat to the big guys. But we got a couple of really cool spots from him. The head scissor with Punk was pretty good. Uh, JBL even had a really good line, and that's rare because around this time the commentary was sort of insufferable. But he said, I hear Mantar's his grandfather, and I laughed pretty hard at that one. Yeah, that was a good line. That was a good line. Uh, yeah, I mean, you get, you know, the pop for Sheamus was good to see. Uh, you know, it was kind of weird to see the Miz in such a kind of like a, just a, I don't know what the right word is, but like Nothing. a flat spot. Just, yeah. yeah, flat. He always gets heat at the very least, right? When you, when you yeah. see him, like he's one of the yeah. guys that you consistently will get booed and kind of, but he just felt like, yeah, oh, it was not a good yeah. time for him. You got, you got a little bit of a reset here with some house cleaning everything and you, you get a couple of funny spots there, the El Torito stuff. But, yeah, I mean, you know, we still, we're still we still at a fairly similar spot to where we were at after 15, where it's kind of the shield and it's punk and, all right, well, the Miz is there, but eh, and Sheamus is there, but we don't really think he's winning right out of the shoot after coming back. So kind of more of the same, just kind of waiting for somebody else to show up to be a legitimate threat because at this point, okay, shield and punk, what else is coming and please let it be something else. And of course we know it's not going to be, but um, yeah, you know, it's just kind of more of the same for me. Just, they were able to clean house a little bit and set things up for the final stretch. We weren't really getting a ton of Daniel Bryan chance yet. We'd get like, we got a couple early and then a few, and then it was right around this point, the final third of the match, where you could you could sense the crowd starting to feel that every person came out wasn't Daniel Bryan, and like doing the math in their head, going, uh oh, uh oh, uh oh, <laughs> you know, and it was, it was like uh oh, and uh, number twenty one is Cesaro. He uh, Antonio Cesaro. He comes out with the Cesaro swing to Miz, little swing to Punk. 
But uh, swing to Rollins, big swing to Rollins. That cool to camera see. work. Oh my god, I got sick. I know. It, uh, cool to see these two guys kind of going at it. They had a pretty good feud throughout the year. Bummer that, of course, Cesaro feels like he's just right back where he was. But uh, they had some really good matches. And we then get Luke Harper, number twenty-two. Sad moment here for Luke, who comes in at twenty-two. Um, Roman hits a spear on Cesaro, and Harper doesn't do a whole lot. When when he's in there um, early, he really doesn't do a whole lot for a lot of the time that he's in there. Um, huge uppercut by Cesaro, then Harper, huge big boot to the face. Um, we got number twenty four, and this is JBL. And okay, like these are the spots that I generally don't love the announcer ones that just kind of feel like a waste to me. I'd actually prefer the El Torito or the Kevin Nash. Spots where you bring an, a legend back or someone, but you bring one of the announcers in, and like JBL comes in and he walks in, he steps in the ring, and then he tells Michael to come take his jacket. And as he leans over the rope to give Michael his jacket, he gets eliminated. It's just the stupidest thing in the world. Like, this isn't something a, the JBL character would have done. He was a lot smarter than that as a, a, a weaselly heel. It just didn't. I didn't love it at all, and and I'm, I get it. You wanted him to come out. You want him to look stupid or whatever. But I, I just thought there were a better way to do it. But then then even the jacket, you want to take the jacket off and put. I, I don't know. But he, the way he did it, so like moseying around, I just didn't. I didn't love it. It just felt like an absolute waste to me. Um, and then we get Eric Rowan, number twenty five. He goes after Miz, and um, uh, Miz gets eliminated, I believe, right here. So we're up to number 26, and that'll be Ryback in a minute. But uh, this stretch here, Cesaro, Harper, Jay Uso was 23, then JBL, then Eric Rowan. And uh, Andrew, the anxiety is starting to rise now for this crowd. It was, but we got a funny little break. And this moment alone, I think, justified the JBL spot. Because I wasn't a fan of it either. But after he gets dumped, the crowd in unison gives him a you still got it chant which <laughs> i thought was great comedic that timing. is good and look there that were times good. where i thought this audience went too far that one was pretty good i give them credit for that also it was around this time where cesaro and sheamus had a really cool little exchange just for about 30 to 45 seconds of trading uppercuts and forearms and just beating the crap out of each other. And that's pretty cool because about a year and a half, two years later, they would be the bar and they would be one of the top tag teams in the entire company because they had that kind of chemistry together and they worked such similar styles to where they knew what would get over and what didn't. And I thought that was a really cool little bit of foreshadowing to something that was going to come a long, long way down the road. And this is where the rumble really gets kind of weird for me because, and and not to take anything away from Harper, Cesaro, you know, these guys are good workers and everything. But normally at some point when you are in this spot between numbers 21 and 25, you got two or three guys that are legitimate. Three or four, exactly. Back yeah. to back to back where you yeah. go, okay, that's the winner. Oh, that's the winner. Oh, that, oh, you know, yeah. you get a few of those in a row. And there was just no run nope. of these. Nothing. There's like, there is nobody. And again, you know, if somebody from the Wyatt family is winning the Royal Rumble at this point, it's not Harper. It's not Rome. 
You know, so it there's literally nobody in this run at all, which is typically a run that's set up to have a couple of guys that can win and potentially include the winner. And you got 21 through 25, and I'm not saying that they're nothing because you have good workers in here. But for the you know the the purpose of who's winning this Royal Rumble, it's none of these guys, and it's just very strange that you're at this point of the Rumble and you're really starting to scratch your head and going, well, who the hell is winning this damn thing? Because it's still the same four guys from the from the beginning that maybe could possibly make a case for, and that's it. And you know, part of you is thinking maybe it is going to be Daniel Bryan. Maybe he's coming out at 28, 29, 30. But all the while, you know, Batista's still lurking in the weeds, and everybody that comes out, it just becomes more and more likely where this is headed. If this was 2012, when Ryback comes out at 26, we might have thought. You know, mm-hmm. maybe 2013, right? Because like end of 2012, he started to get in the main event picture. He had some matches with Punk, and he was in the mix there. We may have thought, okay, maybe Ryback is someone that they would go with, and the cha- uh, crowd chants Goldberg when he comes out. Um, this is where Andrew was talking about Sheamus and Cesaro going at each other, and everyone kind of paired up. Um, this is when they tell us that uh, Punk and Rollins have been in for 40 minutes. As we get to number 27, Alberto Del Rio. The human piece of garbage here at number twenty-seven. As the less uh, said about him, the better. The better. Using, exactly. Using the word "human" is uh, an insult to all humanity. You're right. No, you're absolutely right. He. he it's funny, and it's easy. It's easy. Obviously, we can say this now, but he just he never did it for me either. Like he just, I just never connected oh, I never with him. Him. I never. He was him. never like I. I respected his in-ring ability and stuff, but when when they were pushing him repeatedly, I kind of always. It never felt like it connected. I know they wanted to hit a certain um, demographic, and I know they're always kind of looking for, uh, especially you know, in the U.S. and some of the southern states and in the West Coast, uh, getting uh, like the next big Hispanic star is huge. Someone that the Latino audience can really get behind. Did, never did it for me whatsoever, and now we've seen that he's just yeah, an awful, awful person. Del Rio yeah. at twenty-seven, um, Batista. At 28. Yeah. And I mean, he looks he's in great shape here. He's thinner, he's a lot smaller. Um, and it's it's not like he gets a little pop, right? Like it, it's you it's like the Royal Rumble thing where it's like, okay, they hear your music, they're excited for a second, and then the booze will start, so, sort of start to come um, for him, and he, where he goes after a uh, Ryback, uh, back body drop, he tosses Ryback out. Um, he eliminates Del Rio, so he comes in there real quick, and it's uh, what Rowan, Ryback, Del Rio, he tosses. So he's got three eliminations. Number twenty nine is Big E. And so now this crowd is waiting as Big E kind of comes in. He hits some uh, some big man power moves, and him and Sheamus go at it for a little bit. Number thirty, Ray Mysterio, one of the biggest baby faces. There's a a, a website that's a, a wrestling website. They were actually one of the first ones that used to do a lot of like audio uh, clips. I think even before they were called podcasts. A lot of the time, the place to be nation, and they did a big. Um, with all these different, all their readers and listeners, and they had everybody write in, all different re- wrestling reporters, and they had this big, the best baby face ever 
um, in the history of wrestling, and there were all these different qualifications. It was really cool, like how to 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 score, you know, people. What you would give them out of a on the mic, in the ring, as a character, all these different things. And one of the top five best baby faces in the history of wrestling was Rey Mysterio. For, for all the stuff that he's done around the world, the longevity, and this poor guy has this thirty spot. Where they know I don't and what's funny is I don't think they knew I think they thought that Ray would still get fine Received I think that's why they put him there They go oh Ray's one of the, the most over guys He's gonna get the baby face pop We're gonna bring Ray Mysterio in And he comes out at number 30 And he is booed They want Daniel Bryan uh, Punk and Mysterio Go at it a little bit here but from the the final five, you could you could feel it building up from like twenty on Andrew, and then poor Ray here, man, he got it. Yeah. So we've mentioned that Mysterio is one of the four guys I feel bad for. Cena and Orton are two and three. Batista is four because he came back, and Batista had reason to believe, justifiably so, that when he came back, it would be a big deal. Because he was a big star several years prior. He had started to do stuff in Hollywood. And he wound up coming back. And hey, I'm being treated as a big deal. I'm going to be in the main event at WrestleMania. And for good reason. He could work for a big guy. It was not inconceivable to think that he and whoever he was going against would tear the house down. And they, of course, wound up doing that. Problem is, Batista wasn't Daniel Bryan. And neither was Rey Mysterio. I said this at the time, and I genuinely mean it. Had Glass broken and Steve Austin come out, the crowd still would have hated it. This was a crowd that knew what it wanted. It was one guy. It wasn't Rey Mysterio, who's a legend and going to be a Hall of Famer. It wasn't Batista, who came back, did nothing to deserve the reactions that he got. It was the guy that WWE didn't want to put in the Rumble at all whatsoever because they didn't see him as anything more than a B-plus player. And I am shocked that we went this long without using the line B-plus player. I had to work that in somewhere. But my goodness, Mysterio, poor Mysterio. When you think about it, this guy has been through a lot in the world of professional wrestling. This is the guy that Kevin Nash threw like a javelin into the side of a trailer when the NWO invaded Monday Nitro at at the beach. Yes, this is a guy who was in the ring with Pero Aguayo's son. Pero Aguayo's son died of a heart attack mid-match. This is a guy that got hurt a lot during a time when he was genuinely over to where WWE froze his contract. He was one of the first guys they did this with to where they could keep him under contract for longer periods of time in order to fulfill his dates. This guy has seen some shit. He yeah. comes out. He got his eyes. His... Don't forget about the eye uh, last year. You know, he oh, got his yeah, eye yeah. jabbed out with yeah. uh, by Rollins. Oh. With, uh, you know... <laughs> I mean, sorry, I had to. Well, I had the, to. the point, the the point is, this guy did not deserve the reaction he got, and it sort of sickened me that it happened. Like, I would have been fine with silence. I really would have been, 
because there was one guy the crowd wanted to win. Yeah. He didn't come out. Fine. But you boo this guy for something that is so not his fault that he has no control over. It just, it doesn't age well. Nobody looks good. And I shudder to think of how Vince McMahon justified this as a good idea. Yeah. I think part of the booze also is accepting the fact that when that, when, when Biggie's 29 and Mysterio is 30, the crowd now fully understands who's winning this Royal Rumble. Yeah. And, and that I think adds to the booze on top of, and, and, and that's not to say that they're not booing because it's not Daniel Bryan, but I think it's the compound of the two where it's, Boo, where's our guy? Boo, oh shit, you're actually making this happen. Um, and and that was it. I mean, there's literally, you you take a look, there's not a guy that comes out in the last 10 spots that is any kind of a challenge to Batista. And, and that's it. And, and that's why you take a look at this Royal Rumble and it is remembered the way that it was. The booking of it is weird. There's no top line guys that, that, that are ever really going to be a threat to Batista. You know, once Kane comes down and gets rid of Punk, you know. And, then, and he's the number two, and he doesn't even feel like he's in this match. Exactly. He's just on the floor the whole time. Exactly. Because he's hurt, and we know that yep. he's hurt, and we yep. know he's banged up, but he doesn't do anything. So you're, you're not even, like, thinking about Punk through a lot of this match because you're not, like, seeing him interact all that much with, with and have all these cool spots. Um yeah, I mean, poor Ray as everybody wanted D-Bry. So Sheamus eliminates Big E here. Um, we get a 619 by Ray to, to Seth. And then Rollins comes back, drop kick, and hits a Superman. Uh, then we get a Superman punch on Harper. He gets eliminated. So Reigns is celebrating. And then Ambrose tries to sneak up from behind. Rollins gets mad. He tries to play Peacekeeper here. Cesaro tries to eliminate the Shield uh, guys of... Rollins and Ambrose and then Reigns comes up from behind he eliminates all three of them Ambrose Rollins and Cesaro and he's kind of talking trash afterwards to them like right at Ambrose don't you do that to me and it was funny because there's a spot where um there's a spot where Seth kind of walks over in Roman's eyeline and looks at him like what the hell did I do and Roman kind of looks at him and is like oh yeah my bad you know he kind of gives him like a well you know yeah, had to. It was kind of, it was just kind of a little funny look that I, uh, I noted down. But it's unfortunate as we get to the final four here: uh, Batista, Reigns, Punk, and Sheamus. So not an overall bad final four because actually, Reigns and we're gonna find out Punk or Sheamus probably wouldn't have been all that poorly received. But even at this point, Sheamus starts getting as, as Andrew mentioned, like they don't really want Sheamus here. Um, everyone's kind of getting all their, their stuff in all their big moves. Um, punks standing here and that's when Kane comes down. Um, Kane eliminates him and takes him out outside the ring, chokeslam through the Spanish announce table. And God, it's always, just a leaves a bad taste in your mouth. That kind of a spot in the rumble when it comes down to like the final four, like this too. As, and on top uh, of that, that's the last time we see CM Punk on WWE it. television. And that was it. And I would be, I would be shocked if we see him again. Just the way that he was and what happened in the lawsuit and everything. And you never say never because Vince has been yeah, in it. But 
Gino, if the ultimate warrior and Bruno Sammartino could make peace with the McMahons and or Triple H and come back, anyone can. I never say never, especially because, yeah, it was Fox that got him, but he did do backstage for a little while. I'm just saying we're going to see him in the Hall of Fame at some point. Yeah, I just, it doesn't. It feels like this is the perfect time and the perfect spot for him to go somewhere else, like AEW. Like that's kind of like what he had had maybe been wanting uh, a, a place, I, another option. I um, also, I also think that Vince is using this Roman run to go longer than Punk's run. Oh, just to wipe him out again? I sure, absolutely sure. think that's entirely absolutely. what's going on. Yep, absolutely, and that makes sense too. Yeah. You want to rewrite that a little bit? Sure, yep. sure. Um, so Punk's out, and now we're down to three. We've got a Batista, Sheamus, and Reigns um, power slam by Batista. Uh, fans were chanting, "No, no, uh, no, 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 no!" And uh, no for the she- uh, the bro kick for Sheamus. A Batista bomb, but Sheamus fights out of it, um, and he's out on the apron. Then Roman hits uh, uh, like the shoulder b- uh, tackle, and and out goes Sheamus. So we're down to two. That was elimination number twelve by Roman, which is a, a new record. And then. Batista goes to eliminate Roman Roman hangs on they battle back and forth We get a big stare down between the two of them Roman's got the advantage crowd Chanting Roman Reigns Roman Reigns He tries to set up for the Superman punch um, But he ends up uh, But Batista Hits this ugly looking spear Oh god it was ugly And then Roman hits one of his own Yeah that spear was much better. Um, they're yeah. back on their feet. Roman's <laughs> trying to toss him out. That's exactly what's going on here. Yep. And as Batista ends up turning it around and uh, reversing it, he throws Roman over the top. This thing went under and out. <laughs> and the crowd was not into this whatsoever. And you do, you do feel a little bit bad for Batista, who's just kind of sitting there. Looking around going this was supposed to be my moment I'm supposed to come back and be this star And be like a baby face going to the main event of Wrestlemania And I'm getting booed out of the building And it, and it wasn't even like When we discussed the, the Cena-Orton match We said that yeah, the match was actually fine You know they've had better matches They've had worse matches But the crowd just crapped on that match And that's why it felt a lot worse This Royal Rumble got crapped on by the crowd but it was not a good Royal Rumble It wasn't booked well throughout It wasn't set up all that well You could tell it was like This was one of the most stubborn Royal Rumbles I think they've booked where they said This is what we're going to do And we're not even going to put people out there To get the crowd like happy or excited Or people that they think may have a chance We are, this is Batista's Royal Rumble And we're going with it And you could really feel this Watching it back because I was. This is one of the worst Royal Rumble events overall, and it still has a damn good show to open it up. But it's one of the most polarizing Royal Rumble events, and it's one that we were going to have to talk about because it leads so directly into an awesome WrestleMania. But as Andrew said, this wasn't their plan. They they ran like dumb luck to where they finally just said, "Okay, we can't. 
We can't have the 30th anniversary of WrestleMania getting crapped on in the main event like this. We have to make a change. And it, good thing they did. But at this point, where they end this show, Andrew, things are not looking very great for for the prospects of WrestleMania just a few months out. Not at all whatsoever. And it has nothing to do with any of the competitors involved. This was a case where I think you can argue this. There's a before Royal Rumble 2014 and an after Royal Rumble 2014 because for a while it was accepted within WWE that there are certain towns where the crowd is not going to act the way you want them to act. After Royal Rumble 2014, the crowd realized, hey, we've got a voice here. People maybe actually listen to us every once in a while. And that's when you get certain things with the crowd taking over certain parts of the show for better or for worse. Because I genuinely believe that fans like that, that have strong opinions, that are incredibly passionate, can be a great service for your brand, can be a great sounding board as to what works and what doesn't. That's great. But you also get the kind of disrespectful fans that seem to treat buying a ticket as their way of being not just part of the show, but in some cases being the show. And you get certain things that if you're part of it, yeah, it's fun once, but over three hours of a show, it just gets really, really tiring. Like I'll throw out a couple of examples using the number 10. Every time the referee starts a count, like, whoa, 10, whoa, 10, as an homage to Ty Dillinger. Yeah, it's, it's fun once. Try doing that for three hours. It grates on you. The other thing, one, two, two, three, three. fun once. No more than that. Um, this match is set for one fall. You guys are supposed to say it. I, 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 one fall. Yeah, that was that was one that got big at the indie at the indie events, and then it, it came over when the and and so the announcers like Vince actually would force the announcers to not take the pause there anymore. And you'll notice they yep. don't; they kind of run right through. This match is scheduled for a one fall, and it is where blah 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 because they would go. This match is scheduled for one fall, one fall. Yep. And Annoying, look, though. Yeah. I'm I'm not saying that that is good or bad. I am saying that it hits far different when you're there than when you're not which I guess is good for ticket sales maybe, but it you can certainly see a shift as far as the way fans behaved before this show and after this show. And it becomes incredibly evident because you get more crowds that you wouldn't otherwise see outside of, say, Chicago, outside of, say, New York or Toronto or the night after WrestleMania, which is when all of the hoodlums come out. I should know. I was one of them one year. But it is a historically significant show. It is the first act of a two-part play that I have had my eye on for a while. And I'm looking forward to WrestleMania 30 when we reconvene next week. And to Andrew's point, there's also a difference between making your sentiments known and it becoming routine that you think you're the guy booking the match. Yep. And crossing the line from being a fan to expecting 
that you're going to get what you want every all the time. single time. All Which, the time. For me, is not fun either. No. Because part of the lure of this is you want to be teased. You, you want to be strung along. You want to have these emotions of anger and frustration. That the money's in the chase. Right. Think about every TV show we watch. Yep. How many cliffhangers, how many episodes that are yep. up and down and build. Not everything is a home run. Not everything is action, sex, drama in every single episode from start to finish. There has to be a build to it to build to um, a climax. Ro Ross and Rachel teased you for nine and a half years if you were a Friends fan. Right? You know, exactly. They weren't together from the third episode of the show for the next 10 years. You know, you went through the trials and tribulations of the, all the relationships, whatever frustrations and however close they got. And you would get close and they would come apart again. And they would get close and come apart again. Wrestling is the same way. It is a story that is supposed to tease you. It's supposed to string you along. And then eventually, at some point, you get the payoff. But along the way... You got to take the peaks and the valleys. That's part of what makes it the entertainment that it is. And you can't just shit all over it every single time. You don't get exactly what you want because then you're just a petulant child. Now, this is a this example is extreme because this was botched. The booking was botched. They knew it was botched and they had to correct it. Now, thankfully, they did correct it. And thing and everybody eventually got what they wanted, but there is a level of unfairness in how some of the wrestlers who are out there working extremely hard for their paycheck and and, and the reaction and the response that they get is really unfair at times and and it bothers me now it bothers it bothered yeah. me then and you just have to hope that at some point fans eventually figure this out although it'll probably never happen. It was a bummer. I do feel bad for Batista. I like Batista. He's done a really good job. Guardians of the Galaxy and then Avengers stuff. Like he's got a good, he's got a good sense of humor. I, I thought he, I, I like him just because you get Xavier Woods singing his song like a lunatic every time. Right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so good. It, it is it so is. fantastic. It is. Um, at, at the WrestleMania, I, true story. At the WrestleMania at MetLife a few years ago, when he wrestled against Triple H in his last match, I was in like. I guess you would call it the section right above the floor seats. And I was along, I was alongside one of those like tunnels that, you know, kind of like I, I was opposite of where the entrance was. So on the other side of the ring and right down below me to my left was a tunnel. And when Batista came out in that tunnel was a rocking out Xavier Woods. And it was the greatest thing I ever saw. <laughs> That he guy is. is so passionate about everything he does. And I am so happy that WWE over the past couple of years has recognized that not only does this guy have that passion, but he's got a lot of charisma. He can work a microphone and he's also a pretty darn good worker too. So we will lead into WrestleMania 30 now, and things are going to change in just a couple months. And that's going to end up being a WrestleMania that, you know what, for as Bad you know and, and bad Decision making as this show was it's Tidy it's not even three hours um, Start to finish and the, the beginning match the first 20 minutes 25 minutes are really good 
And the Rumble is just polarizing because of what they do and what it leads to. And it leads to a WrestleMania that I believe only has seven matches on the body of the card. It opens up with Daniel Bryan, Triple H, and the winner of that will be in the main event added to the the, uh, triple threat along with Batista and Orton. So it would have been either D-Bry or Triple H. We get an absolute squash, really, of the... Of the shield squashing Kane The new age outlaws and kind of sending them On their way Um, we get the Andre the giant battle royal when it still Felt like it sort of meant something Here um was this the first One was this I think This was I think it might Have been the first one um We got Cena Bray Wyatt We get Lesnar Undertaker With that moment the streak Being ended um, we got a uh, Divas championship match And then we got the really good main event triple threat So Andrew uh, It was a good call on uh, on yours To kind of make this like the journey And we, we I don't want to say suffered through But we got through the part of the journey That wasn't as fun And now we get to part two of the journey That is a lot more fun This is a really good Wrestlemania um, With you know a very good start A very good finish That battle royal felt fun uh, Cena Bray is fine It's not Awful. All it did was kill Bray as a singles guy, but hey. Oh, I know. The match is the match isn't bad, but it's a it's yeah, you're right. It doesn't do, I thought, a lot. And I um and then we get the moment with Lesnar Taker. This is a very important WrestleMania. Yes, it is. And we were talking about the importance of storytelling and building. We couldn't just do WrestleMania 30 on its own. We had to do the Royal Rumble before it. So people got a sense of just everything that went through it. And WrestleMania 30 has a lot of stuff that we'll have fun talking about for darn sure. I I asked this question before, though. I'm always hazy on where this took place. Was it at the Superdome or the Silverdome? And can someone tell Hulk Hogan? Oh, yeah, that was an opener, huh? Yeah, Yeah. okay. And that was that, that segment to start, so... That's that's actually why they didn't have as many matches on the card because that segment ended up you're probably going about what 15 minutes to start the show out there thereabouts yeah and nobody could follow it because it was so good and they didn't do anything except just cut standard promos and drink beer um, sometimes yeah, so sometimes simple is good where have I heard that before Darren <laughs> simple is good in the world of wrestling and. Uh, we will get to WrestleMania 30 next. Simple is good in the world of racing when you can just, uh, you know, easy couple singles, <laughs> put a few bucks in, make yourself 50000 Just another day at the office, right, DZ? Or, or buy a pink sheet at Saratoga. Just throwing that out there. Yeah. You know, you, you, know, you know what's funny is that my, my buddy said to me, if you, if you would have invested more, like about – I only put $60 into the ticket. And he said, you know, that single in the third leg was great. But if you would have put two more horses in, you wouldn't have had to pay federal withholding tax on the pay. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, that's the gambler, right? That's so that's funny. It. That's, that's it. So like, oh, thank, thanks, pal. That, that that made me feel real good. Thank but yeah, you. Andrew, but Andrew you, you has been mind. on fire at Saratoga. Like he's right now, it's like the like it's start like the 90, 1973 Belmont. We're we're getting to the point now at like the five furlong pole. Where the superior horse is beginning to separate himself <laughs> from the field, you know, and starting to potentially move like a tremendous machine. <laughs> That's what's happening right now in the pink sheet ballot, Saratoga. I can I tell there's a bounce that. in Andrew's step too, because everything is out um, on the website, andrewchampagne.com. 
always a couple days early right now. He's excited, you know. When you ha- when you handicap a meet and every single day of the meet, you after you have a bad day or, or two, sometimes you're there. One or two of those days will feel like work, where it's like ah, you know, you got it. Andrew's stuff is out really early right now. He's pumped. He's seeing the ball well. Everything's going great. I'll have to get you back on uh, next week, uh, Andrew, uh, at some point to talk a little bit more about it. But let us know where we can find uh, everything that you've got going for Saratoga. Sure. I appreciate the kind words. Uh, The one thing I will point out is, while I am excited about Saratoga and while I love what I do, a lot of the reason my stuff is out early is because I'm in California, the paper's in New York, and that helps mitigate a lot of the time difference as far as deadlines, which, as any print journalism connoisseur knows, are getting earlier and earlier and earlier. So I'm trying to lessen the stress on them as much as humanly possible to where the only thing they're waiting on is my bankroll section. And look, if I could give you bankroll results two days in advance, I wouldn't be doing this. I love you guys, <laughs> but I would have my own private island. I would be trying to figure out how I would get into space with Jeff Bezos and Richard Branson and all those other guys. Um, it, Crazy but, eccentric and, billionaires. <laughs> indeed, that's for darn sure. But on a serious note, I appreciate that. It's been uh, it's been good getting off to a nice start, especially because last year's opening week was the worst opening week of my career as a handicapper. Even the days where I'm only picking, say, one top pick winner, like I did a couple of days ago, five or six other races had horses I predicted second or third winding up winning. So it's just one of those days where you're seeing the ball well, but you've got the order jumbled a little bit. So it's been nice. I'm always enjoying Saratoga. Shame that I probably will not get there this year for a variety of reasons. But you can catch all of my stuff online at andrewchampagne.com. Analysis is up two days in advance. For instance, Wednesdays is up or was up last night. We're filming this on a uh, Tuesday. I'll have Thursdays up tonight, Fridays up on Wednesday, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You can also follow me on Twitter at, at Andrew Champagne. You can also follow Champagne and JD, the weekly show over on YouTube. Just search Champagne and JD. Hit that subscribe button. Really helps us out. And then Darren, uh, you can get a lot of um, daily selections um, for twin on Twin Spires from Darren. You'll see Saratoga stuff pop up. Sometimes he has Indiana Grand stuff pop up over there, and uh, you can tell one to follow as uh, when when Darren has a good day. Just like any, that's what you did, Darren. Is what you we all want to do as gamblers, right? And it's one thing that when you're going to have a good day, make sure you have a good day when your opinion's right. When there are a couple horses that you like, really try to capitalize on them. There's nothing worse than looking back and going, wow, all the horses I like won today and I didn't really make any money or I lost. You you do you did what we all as gamblers want to try to do is really capitalize on your opinion. And win or lose, um, the, the last couple of years, that's something that I think I've seen you make a noticeable attempt at doing. And that's something that I've done and I've always tried to do and I'm always trying to do each and every Day, week, month, year is just make sure that the gambling, the wagering, the ticket structure is all smart and well prepped along with the handicapping. Yeah, I've come to realize that just because a ticket is a losing ticket doesn't mean it was a bad ticket. Amen. Just because a ticket is a winning ticket doesn't mean it was it was a good ticket. Um, yep. You know, I've come to understand how to maximize my opinions that if I'm right often, I make sure that I get paid well for it and that I limit wasteful spending on horses and or combinations 
that I find myself using too defensively. Uh, you need to accept the fact that sometimes a favorite that you don't necessarily like is going to beat you. You can't be afraid to let that happen. What you have to be afraid of is allow, is letting yourself miss out on a big opportunity for a big score because you wasted too much of your bankroll on horses or combinations that you really, really didn't like that much in the first place. And I've gotten better at that over the years. And, you know, it, obviously it paid dividends the other day uh, to the nth degree. And, and hopefully, you know, won't be the last one of those, but they don't come around too often. But yeah, you can uh, you can see me on Twitter. Obviously, any of my strong opinions I put out there. And Twin Spires has me doing uh, the Saratoga meet like Andrew uh, with my uh, expert picks each and every day within the Twin Spires app and at twinspires.com. You just click on tips within the race itself. And they also have me doing these mid-week uh, bet back specials where uh, we have uh, select racetracks throughout the week with select races that we offer that up to $10 back if your horse finishes second or third. I handicap a few of those, some of the races that I like, and we put out a little video there through the Twin Spires uh, Twitter account as well. So we got a lot going on there. Um, we're gearing up for the rest of Saratoga and looking forward to uh, the second half of the racing season and certainly looking forward to hopefully getting some more of the thoroughbred horses into the winner's circle if we can. Andrew Champagne, Darrenzo Cali, very lucky to have these guys with me each and every week here for that old wrestling rewatch and uh, other uh, other handicapping of uh, horse racing, football, other topics, whatever it may be. Uh, Andrew and Darren have been along for the ride for quite some time here on That's What G Said. So a uh, big one more time congrats to uh, to DZ for the nice hit and a congrats to a nice start to the meet for Andrew. But like always, right, fellas, it's a, it's a what have you done for me lately world. So we want to celebrate, live in uh, the good moments recently. But I know with both of you, it's always going to be on to tomorrow and what's next. I'm on to Cincinnati. <laughs> there we go we'll be back here and if you want to follow along with us your homework for next time folks wrestlemania 30 really fun show as we see the crowning moment of daniel bryan we will get there on the next old wrestling rewatch don't go anywhere though still plenty more on that's what she said so up next the next old wrestling rewatch we'll head to wrestlemania 30 for yeslemania the yes chance i know Jerry the King said that. It was so corny. So uh, thank you to Andrew, to Darren for helping out again with this episode. A uh, big thank you to uh, everyone out there for tuning in again. Thanks to all the sponsors of That's What G Said. Hopefully we helped make you a little money on Saratoga Thursday, Wednesday or Thursday, or Del Mar Thursday. Got into a little NBA, some MLB. And on the next episode, we're going to start previewing uh, NFL. We're going to start with our NFL previews with Eric. We'll continue on all the news and sports. We'll get you a big weekend racing coming up. The, uh, the action never stops here with That's What G Said. Talk to you again soon, folks.